0: Welcome, Welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast. Your central place to, to hear, hear unofficial news, news reviews, trivia, and, and intelligent discussion on all
1: things, things happening in the Prince world. Featuring Ghost. the hosts, MC. You know, it's got all those classic Prince elements.
2: Captain,
3: why wouldn't you just record as much as you could? player. Oh,
4: yeah. It's just like a story house of ideas. Toe jam. Either version. I love both versions. And
0: other special guests.
4: Hi, this is Larry Graham. You're
5: listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Ricky Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast.
1: What's happening, Australia? This is Tony M. from the New Power Generation, listening to
3: the Peach and Black Podcast.
5: Hey, everybody, this is St. Paul Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast.
6: This is Eden Nelson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast.
1: Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Peach and Black Podcast. We are back again gathered around this virtual round table, and it's been a minute, as some people say. Uh, we haven't done a news episode for quite some time, and it's 2018 now. The celebration's done. All sorts of stuff's been happening recently, and we are gathered here today to talk about all that kind of good stuff. And of course, joining me as always is the Peach and Black podcast crew, the panel, the world-famous, infamous Peach and Black podcast, starting with Player.
2: I've seen inside the vault.
1: Yes. (laughs) Toe Jam.
3: Tell me, baby, where did Rob go wrong? (laughs) And Captain. I've seen photos too. That's all. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Very good. Very good.
1: And I am, of course, Rob S in the house back again. I'm bloody excited, guys. I'm bloody excited. I have to admit, Um, I probably haven't been this excited to record a general news episode in quite some time. I can't even remember the last time we recorded a news show, but there's so much to talk about. Because there hasn't
3: been any news.
1: (laughs) That's a good point. Finally,
3: there's something to talk about.
1: But there's so much. It's not just something. It's like so much. Um, I have a hard time keeping up with what's been going on recently and what is currently going on and will be going on in the Prince world. Let's just start with what brought us together, the four of us. No, no, we can't go into that. But as fans, what brings us together? The music, right? It's all about the music. And speaking of music, something quite monumental was released not too long ago. It is the first official single release for 2018.
3: Is that fair? Yeah, I don't the think the estate is- has um, have set the bar the first year we got one single track. Second year, we've got another single track. So we're looking at one song a year forever. That's great. I'm so happy with this. In nine years,
1: we can have a nine-track album. Just remind me, what was it last year?
4: Moonbeam Levels. But oh, we're yeah. forgetting about the Purple Rain Disc too, with all that stuff. Yeah. That was a big release. I mean, this is interesting because this, this is the first release that's actually been like it's actually come from the vault And it's been cleaned up and, you know, mastered properly. It hasn't been... It's not like Moonbeam levels where, let's face it, they just ripped it off a bootleg. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Are we going to announce what we're actually talking about? <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> a good
1: idea, player.
4: <laughs> For anyone
1: who hasn't figured it out yet. This introduction to this song is just like the name of our show. Instead of calling this podcast the Prince Podcast going on near 10 years ago, we choose a name like Peach and Black. And instead of introducing this song by actually telling everyone the title of the song, we're just like, oh, you know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that song that just came out. Okay, let's get into it. The song is, of course, Prince's original recording of the massive pop hit. And one of the songs that he's best known for, Nothing Compares to You. This is a big one, guys. Like, yes, 2017 was a big year because it was Purple Rain Deluxe and Moonbeam Levels. But this song in particular, I think, is pretty special and unique purely because it's him. It's the original artist recording the original version and they they found it, they cleaned it up as jam I think said and and it's out there in the world and I don't know about you guys but I have received numerous messages and heads up and even from like casual music lovers, oh, sorry, that doesn't even make sense, casual music fans are hitting me up about this track
3: and they're like, oh, yeah. I'm just, I'm just a casual music lover. <laughs> I love music. Casually. Casually. <laughs> in my leisure suit. <laughs>
1: So, uh, there's been a lot of news around or hype around this song, news outlets, media outlets, and in this day and age of social media, it's blowing up. So, let's talk about it just quickly or briefly. It's come out. It's Prince with, he's doing most of the work. Eric's obviously on the horn. And you've got uh, St. Paul and Susanna on background vocals, right?
4: That's what it says, but I'm not sure I can hear St. Paul.
1: As a great promo to get him on the show one day.
4: <laughs> I'm not saying he's not there. I mean, I can hear the girls, but I'm not sure I can. I mean, I, maybe I should listen again.
1: Saint Paul, you can send your hate mail to. Uh toejam at gmail.com what about the artwork i don't know i for one absolutely love the artwork itself i think it's one of the best pieces of art i've ever seen on a prince single because it's clearly him but you can't see his face it's so magical and mystical maybe it's just me getting emotional
4: like it's clearly in 1984 prince mm. clearly mm. casually <laughs>
1: so what do you got, What do you guys think about the artwork Or in fact the song Because we haven't really spoken too much about it Captain, what do you think about the, the song And everything around this Nothing compares to your release
3: the, the artwork's okay I didn't really pay much attention to it Because I only want the music I don't care about much else So I looked at the artwork I'm like, okay, it's got artwork, great uh, The song, I like it a lot better than Again, sorry Paul <laughs> Than the family version That just sounds really sort of fluffy and strange with the weird little keyboards. And this just seems a bit more heavier and more rock or something. I don't know. Is it the guitar? Is that maybe what you're referring to? I don't know. That's the drums, the drums, the guitar. And I just think the emotion that he can get out of his voice, which I don't think Paul got as good on the family version. But it just seems like a heavier version, like there's different instrumentation. It's not it's not just like Paul sang over this original version. It's not that's not what this is. So it's good to have a pretty different version, which is great. Okay. Yeah. Uh player. Player, what are your thoughts about this super special release? Um
2: I think it's good. It is a, a bit different from the release version, especially what Uh, captain said with the guitars and drums they're the things that stand out the most the other stand out would be the lyrics is slightly different if you listen to it there's there's a particular line that's different and i don't know like if you look at the release because they're releasing it on vinyl like side a is an edit version of because of course i want to i want a cut down version of it yeah and the side b is the full length version um I think I might go back to my um, review of this song in the family review that we did. And it's like, you know, if this song wasn't famous, like it's as, as good as the song is, is if it wasn't famous or made famous by another person, if they were going through the vault, would this be the release they hone in on mm. as good as as good as it is? Do you know what I mean? I think it's a bit strange. It's it's nice, but it's strange, it just in in, in my eyes. Mm. The other thing that's strange, I think is strange, is it's accompanied by this awesome rehearsal footage. and seems to be taken from two or three different rehearsals. One, I don't know if I've seen it before as like a bootleg, but there's footage there that looks a lot clearer than the bootleg footage. The bootleg footage looks like, um, you know, oversaturated and, you know, from probably dubbing too many times but there's a couple of other pieces of footage in there that's sort of looks like it's shot more on film which was pretty exciting but like to put this song with it i don't know i was kind of more excited to see the footage of the rehearsal that and the music they were playing with that so yeah like that's that's really cool i hope that that sort of gets some sort of release um if it's just only solely intended for this one-off project it's a bit you know, strange because I think whatever footage they do have of that, it, I think the fans would be really interested in it. So yeah, it's it's it was a nice surprise. Like I wasn't expecting this to come out on the anniversary, but um, it, it's it's cool that it's out
1: there. And of course, you're when you're talking about footage, you're referring to the official music video released on YouTube, right? Yeah, correct. Hmm, a lot of interesting opinions on this one. In fact, most of what Captain and uh, Player have said, I'm pretty surprised by, which is interesting. Toe Jam. What are your thoughts on this one?
4: I reckon the music on this is unbelievable. I think this is the absolute definitive version of this song. Uh, we talked about the family version when we reviewed this, and we talked about how this its an odd release, that one. And really what the family version is, it's a remix. The family version is a remix of this song. It has the exact same Eric Leeds solo. The tempo's the same. The strings, some of the string parts are the same. It's just the family version it's stripped out the guitars and the drums and it's got this more ethereal kind of thing going on but this is the this is the version I think Prince's vocal is amazing it smokes St. Paul's vocals you know again no offense to him it's got that warehouse purple rain sound like that just that sound on the drums the certain guitar effects i mean it's 1984 i mean can you it's it's really hard to grasp how massive that year was for Prince And then in the background, he's writing this and recording this. It's like, what the hell? Like 1984, my God, for Prince, that was such a massive year. Can you believe that? I mean, I think um, Player said he's not sure whether this uh, would be, you know, the first thing they would release if it wasn't made famous by someone else. I get his point, but, I mean, this is is an unbelievable song. Like, I really rate this in terms of the melody, um, the emotion. It's, I mean, my mind is shaking while I'm thinking this. Like... (laughs) This is a song that Prince didn't release because he had so much amazing material in 1983, 1984. And this would be like, this was a massive song for Sinead O'Connor and primarily for the song. And this is Prince's version of that song. And it's so much better. I don't know. It's mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. The remaster, I mean, it sounds good. It sounds loud. I, mean, I will say remaster. It's not like they've, you know, tinkered with it, but they've actually, it's been mastered at least. And it sounds really good. I mean, I haven't looked at it in the spectrum and everything and seen, oh, is there clipping or anything? I haven't looked at that. But I mean, to me, it sounds as good as anything probably will ever sound from 1984 in terms of, you know, the mm. way Prince is recording in this warehouse and everything. I mean, musically, you've got the the kick drum starting. He does, there's a lot of songs that start with that kick drum just going, like Crystal Balls, the first that came to my mind, you know, just this pounding kick drum going. The ho, 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 all of those bits, they don't sound as cheesy as they do, like in the family version, that's good. Yeah. Some of the chords are slightly different when, the, when um, the chorus come in towards the end, like he does some alternate chords, which is interesting. And like I said, it's got Eric Leeds doing the solo, and it's the same solo. It's just it doesn't have that slapback delay effect like it did on the family one so i mean you can take everything i said from the family review add what i've just said now and that's my review of the song i really rate this i think it's i think it's one of prince's best ballads like i said in terms of the melody the chords and just pure emotion i mean it's just such an a beautiful song and um i think it's it's a worthy release i think this i'm really happy that this came out one
3: thing that i don't get is how could he record this version and then no matter what he thought of his own version It's boggling, isn't it? And do what he did to that version of it and think that that was, you know, he probably sort of changed it to fit in with that sort of sound on that album. Mm. But how could you at all think that that version was superior to this one?
1: But Captain, I think you've answered it. I think what you just said is probably the answer. It's maybe he didn't think it was superior, but he just tinkered with it to make it fit on that family record and then kept this one in the vault, which is crazy in itself because you're right, it sounds like he's taken this song and go, ah, I've got to change it because it needs to fit that record, right? Yep. Yeah, so who will ever know how his mind worked? I mean, we've mentioned this on the show many times, right? Like he confuses and confounds us and then he surprises and amazes us, usually within the same song. So it's pretty crazy. I am probably more in line with Toe Jam's thoughts. I don't... I mean, he, he was clearly sounding very excited by this. And I think for good reason, because any time I thought of Nothing Compares to You prior to when this was released in April 2018, I always thought... Of that live version on the hits, the B-sides compilation, always. I never thought of The Family. Sometimes I thought of the Sinead version because that is also a beautiful representation of this music. But from a Prince fan's perspective, if you want to hear his voice, it was like you didn't really have much choice. Either you listened to a live performance in some other format, some live performance out there in the internet landscape, or you had the hits B-sides version with Rosie. But to hear this, as a studio version and then you go wait a second it's not a version this is the crazy thing it's not even a version this is the song this is the song
4: (laughs) exactly yeah this is the actual song not like oh this is a you know a home little demo he did like in his basement one day just scratching around it's not like that like it's not like the pre-song it's it is the song
1: Mm. so when you say definitive I i don't even think definitive i think this is it like, it's not that it's better or anything. It's like, this is the actual final piece of music that he did. And then everything else that has come afterwards kind of spawned from this. So from that point of view, I think it is remarkable. Historically, I mean, it's kind of weird to say this, but we may never have heard this had he been alive. And have I done it? Have I screwed the, the mood up? I hope I haven't. But what I'm getting at is like, it's kind of a weird treat in a way, as a, as a massive Prince fan, to, to hear something like this that you may never really have been exposed to. Who knows? But the reality is that the estate have decided to release this. It is very well presented from an audio point of view, very well produced and, and mastered really nicely. Again, to Toe James' point, who knows what the dynamic range and all that kind of stuff is. But the point is the impact of the song is massive. And I think it's like the drums and the guitar that really elevates it from anything we've heard before. So the emotion is really, really forward. And his vocals, they're amazing. Like, again, classic Prince vocal performance, full of feeling and melancholy in this instance. And uh, it is kind of crazy. I'd never thought about what Gem said about this was recorded but never came out in 1984. What a crazy year of his. I'm starting to think that 1984 may be His peak purely from a like prolific point of view.
4: Prolificity—that's a word.
1: (laughs) Is it? So yeah, I I absolutely love it. It's amazing. Throw any other great word, great optimistic uh, description of this word at it, and I'll agree with it. And as I said, the the artwork—I really like it. I think there's something mystical and mysterious. Yet everyone knows it's Prince, and he he just kind of embodied during this period and especially now when we think of him in his legacy as this almost alien figure and we finally get a peek behind the curtain except that this time it's a fully completed piece like this isn't a demo so i think it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful and the last thing i'll say is eric Leeds. i mean yes It's the same sax solo that's on the family record, but I love that solo. Super. There's something about Eric's playing that is just kind of, he's always doing kind of what he wants to do in a way, if that makes sense. He's always kind of playing this, like he's not playing what any other horn player would come in and play. He's like slightly left of center, always. Mm. He's just got this slightly, it's not even atonal. It's just, I don't know what it is. Tojan could probably describe better as a horn player. When his horn solo has its time to shine. It's almost like, uh, I'm going to tell this story. This is what I think this song needs. And he plays that and then it goes back to being Prince. So for that 20 seconds or so, kind of sounds like an Eric Leeds song and it becomes a Prince song again, if that makes sense in some weird way. So anyway, huge moment. This has been a huge moment in Prince's estate career, I guess we could call it now. His legacy, the legacy of his work that he laid down those years ago
4: Paul Peterson said that this was the version that was sent to him when he was learning the song
1: yeah so how does that make sense if he's the,
2: on the backing track of the vocal
4: yeah I don't think he is so <laughs> that's something's not right, right there <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'll, I can go through and listen like, to it and maybe I'll Paul hear
2: Peterson was in his mum's living room the tape comes there he puts it on and guess what he's on the actual backing track <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's, that's how much of a genius Prince was he actually included your background vocals before you sung them <laughs> All right, all right. You guys don't rate the footage?
4: Yeah, I want to talk a bit more about the footage. I don't like the video. I mean, the footage itself is amazing. And you just watch it and it just, it reminds you straight away of how much of a kick-ass dancer he was, like, especially in that time. You know, all the splits and the spins and just all the choreography they're doing. Uh, Like, there's some crazy dance moves going on there while they're playing this hardcore funk. The only problem is the song isn't hardcore funk. (laughs) so it's just it's weird it's it's the video is not good in the respect that it totally does not fit the song one bit other than it's you know 1984 and i I think it's kind of a shame because i think that there might have been something better they could do with that footage i mean Mm. it's probably a bit unrealistic to expect them to release you know full-length rehearsal videos but i mean you know they could release a song like a rehearsal imagine watching like something you know computer blue rehearsal or something like that which i'm sure Mm. that's on there on one of those i mean that would be something and so, watching well, those, watching that videos, it's like a little tease. It's like here is some cool little dance bits, but it has nothing to do with the music. And it's so it's, it's just it's a weird mix.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, for all we know, maybe there are parts of Computer Blue in that rehearsal footage. You know, I'd there could there be, be so be. many songs, so many songs that they're probably rehearsing high up, temp, high tempo funk numbers. Probably, I like the footage as well on its own, but I don't think it suits the song. In saying that, there are parts. There, there are a few shots of prints that are super, super, I guess the word would be, if we, if we were talking to Wendy and Lisa right now, they'd say something like, Oh, they're so sweet. Those were so sweet. Look at him. He's such a sweet little darling. Those sorts of shots, you know, that, <laughs> you know, like kind of, it shows the kid maybe before he becomes a superstar. Like the, there's, an, there's a level of innocence there, which is kind of, cool to see. And that I think that element suits the music. And then nostalgic, it's almost like we're listening to this song that he is singing. But I think all of us in the back of our minds at some point, we're thinking, you know, nothing compares to you. Bloody hell, that's that's true. That's never been truer than ever. When you look at that rehearsal stuff, it's like nothing does compare to Prince. And maybe that's why they did what they did. Maybe they're saying, The lyrics of this song remind us that look at what he was doing when the camera, you know, when the camera was on, but no one was really watching him.
3: When I was watching this, I was thinking, this is good footage. Some of the editing's okay. Like you can see they've tried to match up bits and pieces with parts of the song, which is okay. But then I was, the more I watch it, I just think we're probably never going to see this footage anywhere else. Mm. It's unlikely to me. It's not a smart financial move. From Graceland to release, like Jam said, full-length rehearsals. That's such a small target market. It's unlikely we'll ever see it. So, four minutes, five minutes of it, I'll take it because that could be all we're going to get anyway.
1: Mm. Yeah, look at that. One song is released. So much bloody conjecture, <laughs> even between the four of us, we're like all over the place.
4: I'll, I'll just put it out there. I mean, personally, myself, and I'm sure you guys as well. Personally, myself, and I'm sure you guys as well. Let's say they they put this out to download. You pay thirty bucks. You download the whole rehearsal video. You can't tell me like there's there's got to be at least a couple of hundred thousand hardcore Prince fans that would do that in an instant. I don't know. Hundred
3: thousand? No.
1: Don't know. I don't yeah. think
3: so. I mean,
4: his his his. Uh, I, I mean, so. I always thought like even his most unsuccessful albums would sell at least a hundred thousand copies worldwide. Oh no way. Yeah, something no. like News would sell a hundred thousand no. around the world. You reckon? No, I don't know. No. I don't know. News. News sold... I can't remember exactly, but it definitely sold more than 100. <laughs> and if something like News, which is like an obscure... I find news- that unbelievable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, this this is interesting. This is actually an interesting topic to kind of segue into, possibly. Who wants to see rehearsal footage? Because... I mean, I'm hearing you saying clearly, Tojam, you, you'd pay thirty bucks or whatever to, to watch it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not really keen on rehearsal footage. I don't want to see it. I want to. Re- I want the mystery to remain the mystery. All I want to see is the finished product. It's like if they released a two-city compilation of demos. I don't really want to hear it. Now, l- let me just take a step <laughs> back.
4: You're backtracking. Yeah. As a hardcore,
1: <laughs> as a hardcore Prince, <laughs> as a hardcore Prince fan, the general opinion is like, I want to hear. Everything he's ever done. I want to see everything he's ever done. But you know what? And we'll get to this with other things that have happened in 2018 with regards to Prince and his legacy and, you know, what happened in April
3: 2016. I'm not sure that I want
1: to see everything.
3: Well, we're not going to see everything. (laughs) Clearly. I doubt before all of us are dead we'll see 10% of what's in the vault. That's <laughs>
1: Captain, what do you, unless you know something I don't, we, we, hopefully we plan on living for a, for a little while longer.
3: <laughs> even if we live for 50 years and even if unbelievably they put out an album a year. I don't think I'll live for 50 years, but anyway.
1: <laughs> now it's going really morbid. <laughs> I see your point, but who here want, other than ToeJam actually wants to watch a rehearsal? Because the curious part of my brain will just go, yeah, 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 send it to me. But when I really think about it properly when i really consider it there are plenty of things i would much rather see than peeking behind the curtain i kind of have always thought that the rehearsal spoils the magic a little bit for me no
4: no nah, rehearsals are good i'd like to see a 40 minute rehearsal i'd love to watch that from 1984 that'd be awesome yeah i guess
1: i'm just not that hot on it player captain what do you guys think
2: so there's a rumor that the First Avenue 1983 show is getting possibly released on DVD later this year because it was intended for the Purple Rain Deluxe, and it, Deluxe. they couldn't get it. They couldn't get it out in time. If they released that show and like had ex- extras on it of the rehearsal footage, I'd take that. It just gives the release a bit more of a substantial, you know, thing to it. Mm. So, yeah, I'd take it.
1: Yeah, I mean, the question is, here's something related to Prince, would we take it or not? I think probably most of us would, or all of us, would go, yeah, give it to me because we're all hungry and thirsty for anything related to him, especially now. So we're talking about rehearsal footage. Who's got the rehearsal footage? It's the estate, clearly. They own it. What's going on with the estate? Without opening up a massive can of worms and turning into a three-hour show about (laughs) internal politics, what are some of the kind of high-level highlights and lowlights from your guys' point of view? Well,
3: the biggest thing is I guess the investigation is over. It's closed. And that's that, really. No one's getting charged a doctor paid a 30 grand fine for doing something he shouldn't have done. And that's about it. And then pretty much a day or two after it was announced no one was getting charged, the estate decided to sue everyone that was in sight. They're suing the (laughs) hospital, they're suing a doctor, they're suing just anyone. The ones who got him off the plane in Moline, they're like, yep, we'll sue them too. It's like, It's insane. Just to
2: not go down a rabbit hole with this, the thing is, and like, this is just from my perspective as an outsider. From what I've heard at that time, when that incident happened, it was Prince's decision to leave. So
3: Mm. Yep. Signed himself out, allegedly.
2: Now, the way I see it is, as soon as that incident happened, it was picked up by TMZ straight away. And so, you know, we don't know the full story, but whatever happened on that plane and he ended up in the hospital, when he's recovered... Well, I wouldn't say he's totally recovered, but when
1: he's well, he's alive.
2: Yeah, and he's with it, and he's a smart enough guy to know that. Okay, this story is already on TMZ. By the time, if I stay here, by the time I walk out, this is a news thing. And he's a private guy, so he's probably like, I'm getting out of here before this story gets any bigger, kind of thing. Mm. And mm. I think that's what that's what it was. He he just yeah. took it upon yes. himself to leave. And so I guess the lawsuit without knowing much about it is like a a negligence of care or something, but they're kind of limited if they, if they are giving their, their advice and it's not being taken. So like, I I don't really want to speak on much on it because I'm I'm not really that familiar with it, but that's just the way I see it the story is that, you know, they can sue these people, but I think they would have, would have done everything in their power to make him s- stay and, and treat him.
1: I agree with you actually completely. And even though we don't have the full story, if that is the full story, what you just said, if that is pretty much what happened, then I think it's kind of ridiculous for them to go after people, the very people that were trying to help him. But that blows my mind. The only exception to that in my mind would be if they do know something that we don't. Which is always possible because who the heck knows? But you're completely right, player. You cannot keep someone from doing what they want to do. And if he wanted to leave, and as far as we all know, he wanted to leave, doesn't want to be there, then off he goes, right? So it's kind of like case closed.
3: You can really just see two reasons why they're doing it, you know it's understandable. Their family member is not here anymore. They want to blame someone. I can understand that. Fair mm-hmm. enough. You can understand that, you know, on an emotional level, whatever. But then the second one is they want money. And I don't know where where it sits. Because as far as we know, they haven't really got any money from the estate yet. Is this their chance to actually get some money now? I don't know. I'm not implying anything. It's a big question, Mark. That's the two options I can see.
1: Yeah, there's a very big question, Mark. But the the happenings with the estate or the, the situation with everything that the estate have been going through and are currently going through is, I think, going to continue to be a source of confusion for fans of Prince's music for a very long time. I, uh, I don't see anything suddenly happening where everything becomes clear. And really in these sorts of situations, you wouldn't expect anything to, to be much different to what we're currently experiencing. You know, so many people involved in this massive issue and Prince is a pretty big celebrity. So that I'm sure also has some effect on what was going on and probably also had an effect on what was going on at the hospital at Moline. But yeah, it's, it's been a crazy trip since it happened, you know, over two years ago now, uh, up until today. And and this is us talking about it on the outside, right? So I can't even possibly mm-hmm. imagine the sorts of conversations that have been happening in his inner circle and those closest to him. It's, it's a crazy situation. And you know what? I don't think he would want people to be uh, put out or, or, or dealing with huge amounts of drama as a result of, of uh, what unfortunately happened with
3: regards to him. So This is what I thought of just today, and that is just like the Nelson family want someone to blame. Again, understandable from their point of view. Me, that's, you know, the estate is who some people are blaming, whatever you want to say. They're whinging about the estate. About what they're doing, what they're not doing, because that's the only person that we've got to blame. No one else is doing anything. They're the ones who, they're the only ones who can do something and happening, but that's who we're blaming. (laughs) You know,
1: Pink and Black podcast isn't blaming anyone, I don't think.
3: Two songs in two years. The only person I can blame for that, apart from a certain someone not having a will, is the estate. Mm. So when I whinge about the estate, yes, I'm whinging about the estate. That's because I want music. And that's because they're the only person I can whinge about. There's no one else that can do anything. So that's where I'm putting my anger towards things that aren't happening. And that's nothing personally against the estate. That's just they're the face of what is in control of things now. They're the
1: man. The estate is now Prince, basically. in in, in a weird way they're they're the people that have the ultimate decision of a prince so captain hashtag captain captain blames the estate player what are your thoughts (laughs) (laughs) like
2: you gotta think the estate is really in actuality at the moment graceland and a bank
1: Mm. really Mm. that's a very good point so
2: you know i mean the family it's 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 their inheritance, I guess. I don't know what the word is for it, but, you know, they've inherited this and this is their thing. But really, it's run by people in suits. I know they're trying to say they're looking in the best interest for Prince and the family and all that sort of stuff. And I guess they want to see a return on, on what they're putting into it. So there must be some sort of, you know, it must be a complicated situation because I'm sure they would want to pump out stuff so there must be some sort of complication there it is frustrating i think it may be on all levels it's frustrating the only thing is is the general public aren't exposed to it so it's very hard to sort of decide in terms of the investigation and that closing and and nothing coming of it no charges you know i think there's a lot of this lynch mob mentality that you know they have to pin this on somebody um but the only thing that I wanted to get out of that investigation was an understanding of what happened, not looking for someone to pin it on kind of thing. Mm. So because, you know, when it did happen, it was quite shocking and a, a lot of the fans are confused because it, it was kind of sudden in some ways. And, and yeah, I just wanted to not actually see someone charged but just sort of when their investigation, they could sort of bring light to what happened in those final you know years or months or weeks uh, so i wasn't really looking for for
1: someone to be some someone to blame yeah 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 it's just it's a strange situation
2: but that's just my thing for it
1: and in saying that while also trying not to open up a can of worms from your point of view did, did the investigation clarify anything for you or give you any more insight into what did occur
2: well accompanying all these news reports there's a lot of the police um, interviews and stuff. So that sort of stuff gives you a bit more insight when you read it. I haven't read through all of it because there's so much volume of stuff. There's um, a lot of photos and videos that accompany it, so you can sort of put a bit of a picture together from from that. So mm. um, yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it, it's beneficial. Maybe not tasteful, like it all being sort of exposed mm. to the public. But I just kind of want an understanding of you know, how it got to, got to that point kind of thing. So mm, yeah, the more yeah. I read, the more I'm trying to understand it.
3: You just reminded me, the other thing I was going to say was that was the other thing that a lot of people had a problem with. As soon as this information was released, like all the photos and video and everything, some news stations, news channels, the exact video of a body on the floor, you know, not blurred, nothing. The many people that was... The worst thing you could possibly see. Pretty confronting, yeah. Especially even without a warning. I have a theory
2: about that. My theory is news organizations want to be the first with everything, they Mm. just want Mm. to be the first. And so I think in some ways, I don't know if you would call it laziness or if it's just urgency that as soon as they obtain something, they've got to get it out straight away. So I think some news organizations took what they had, reviewed it, and saw what was there and censored it. But others just put it out without even realizing it. And I think that's where it's kind of come from. That's my guess, just to get the information out there. And well, it's yeah. unfortunate.
3: Well, it's either laziness or it's we know what we're putting out, but we're first and we're going to get ratings. Either way, it's not good.
1: Yeah, either way, I think most people looking at it, certainly fans and admirers of Prince and his work, if they saw that or if they see that, would, would you would have to think would be pretty disturbed by it. I would imagine it's pretty confronting. I personally haven't seen it, but I have heard from people and – yeah, the comments are unanimous. It's 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 a pretty confronting and unfortunate thing to to see. I thought
2: equally as disturbing was the footage in the doctor's and the pharmacy the day before.
1: Really? You thought that was disturbing? Yeah, I did actually. Yeah, I didn't. What was what was disturbing about those videos to you? Okay,
2: like wh- one thing that I and I made a comment about this online the other day. I went to the chemist last week and I went to buy a Ventolin. It took mm-hmm. me twenty minutes. I stood there for twenty minutes waiting for that Ventolin. I had to fill in a piece of paper with address, all my details. Yeah, they had yeah, to yeah. write up a label stick it all over the box the spray everything it took 20 minutes that interaction there was like a video there was two videos oh. of scripts being filled of something that's personal yeah yeah and 100 times stronger and it was just done within two transactions in less than 3 minutes it just that blows my mind well mm. efficient pharmacy pharmacy
3: <laughs> efficiency Effic- yeah
2: um, it's it's not even that it's like the the level of medication that's being issued, you know, so quickly. Mm. Yeah. It's not even for the intended person that's getting it.
3: Yeah, but don't forget in America, that's yeah, going to different there, <laughs> yeah. man. You, you can just walk in and get stuff like that. You can just go to the doctor and go, oh, my back hurts. Give me some medication and he'll give you some really strong shit. And that's all you got to do is, oh, my back hurts. I mean, you can buy a gun. You can buy a gun at Kmart. Yeah.
2: So yeah. that brings me back to my original point of I found that
1: footage disturbing. <laughs> Because of that aspect, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, some people have made comments that they found it comforting to, at least on sur- on the surface, to see that their idol or the the person that they whose music they loved so much was trying to get help. Because it depends on how you look at it, right? Yeah. It's so yeah. much, and this this is this is the thing. Like, it's so so much has come out, and it all came out at the same time. As this nothing compares to your release and. The Celebration 2018, which we're going to talk about later in the show, which we've got a special guest for. And, you know, so so much happening, so many announcements at the same time. And then in the middle of this, you've got this somewhat, a bit of a downer, I guess, with all this stuff coming out. ToeJam's been very quiet. So I don't know, ToeJam, if you want to chip in with anything.
4: I'll just, I've always had this kind of attitude since this happened. And that is that as far as I see, a tragedy has happened. And I just don't have the interest in the details. Whether there's someone to blame or what story went to, or to get and who saw him and why. And like to me, I'm, I'm mm. just, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being interested in it, but to me, I'm just, I just, I have very little interest in those kind of details. As, as far as I can see, I think you said a best MC uh, recently when we were talking, and you said Prince was playing with fire and, and he got burned. And, we we don't know what his inner demons were mm. and uh we don't know the level of pain he was in, whether or not if he was uh and the level of, I mean, obviously he was addicted to something and the level and the extent and the extent to which he had control and realization and, and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, the details are, you know, as far as I see, it's just a tragedy and I, I'm not interested in the details.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I said what I said about the, you know, he was playing with fire and ultimately he, he got burnt and I, I do stand by that statement, but I don't know, the ins and outs. So, you know, I don't, to, to your point, who knows exactly what his state of mind was like. This is such a complex issue, not only socially, because there's a massive issue in, in the States with many things. I mean, you know, violence, drugs, prescription, uh, you know, they've got so much going on in, over there and in the world, but in particular in in the US, you know, these issues are particularly, um, they're, they're everywhere and they seem to happen there more so than in other parts of the globe. Mm. And so, you know, he was he was an American citizen in that system as well. And one of the things I was going to say was I don't want to be uh, I would put my hand up and say I'm a little bit of a hypocrite because some days I'm like Prince was playing in fire, he got burnt. I'm over it, and then I'll wake up the next day and someone will send me something about, oh, have you read this article? Look what they found, <laughs> and I'll and I'll read it and I'll and I'll start. My curious part of my brain will get a bit involved and kind of entangled in in that world of mystery and intrigue of what possibly happened, and then you know that'll take up a half an hour or an hour of getting involved mm-hmm. in that sort of crap
4: for me, I, I, I did look through those photos, take yeah. Hazy Park and I walked away from those photos just thinking, holy shit, there's a million miles. And like, no, it's bootlegs <laughs> in the vault. Like that, that's, that was the way I- like, <laughs> Bootlegger of We're you know, getting to like, that. To me, that to me was the most, the, that's what I take took away from those images. It's like, oh my God, there's the vault with, you know, and there's actually handwritten texture on it about what song it is. Mm. Mm. Like, yeah.
3: I'm sure I said in a previous show, maybe it was the tribute show, I can't remember. I was the same as Jam because at the time when all the news was coming out just after it happened, it was so sensational sensationalist. hes the scoop and all this crap. And then my attitude was it's done. That's it. It doesn't matter who or what or how or why he's not coming back. So I just don't care. But now that they've released, you know, like 30 gig of photos and videos <laughs> and text, and I can yeah. go through it at my own time without all yeah. this sensational crap around it. Now it's interesting to me. It's kind of weird and interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird. But, you know, the pictures of Paisley Park are very interesting. The pictures of the vault are very interesting. Yes, there's pictures of prints there as well. And I saw them and I knew they were going to be in there and I saw them and... I wasn't like offended or anything. I was just like it was like a clinical thing. It was just like okay, he's there. That that happened. I know. Moving on. Get to the vault pictures and look at the look at all the tapes. Yeah. Yeah, going through it now in my own pace without all the media crap around it. It's much more calm, you know?
1: Yeah, I'm like, look, in the weeks and months leading up to this investigation the release of the investigation outcome and in particular the notes and the evidence and all that sort of stuff. Like my my mind was not occupied with that. But then the minute it comes out, I have to admit that it, it kind of gets you sometimes. And it certainly got me. And now I'm kind of getting out of that funk of even paying too much attention to it. But um you know, I think it's a general human uh trait of being curious, especially when someone, and by someone, I mean, just being online, it's hard to escape all of the talk and all of the stuff. So one of the things that is quite good to do is not to spend too much time online (laughs) reading all this sort of stuff. But I did want to make two quick comments and then maybe throw it to you guys if you've got anything else to add about this whole investigation, because, you know, at the end of the day, we are a Prince podcast. And I think it's fair to say that all of us love the guy and his work and all this sort of stuff. But it's been also really weird because no one expected this to happen, and and it did. But my two comments are this. One, I do think whatever occurred, and I don't want to be overly controversial, but these are my real thoughts. Whatever occurred with him as an individual, as a human being, unless he had a conscious part to play and and was somehow making some sort of decision himself, it's tragic. Even if he was consciously saying, you know what, I feel like I've done everything I've needed to do and, and what will be, will be. Even if he was in that mindset, I still think it's tragic because no one wants to see anyone's time on this planet come to an end before it really needs to, you know. But the flip side of that is... And I feel like it's almost like back to April 2016 when I say this. The guy was clearly in pain and he was clearly going through something. And I feel like, I hope this doesn't come across negative, but I I feel like the fact that he's out of pain and whatever he was going through, I feel like it is a bit of a silver lining in some capacity. I'm certainly happy to know that if he was struggling, that he's now possibly in a better place. And although it's easy to get caught up in the, He said, she said, and who said what to police and what, you know, what, what do the photos say? It doesn't do anyone any good. And certainly on this show, we're about predominantly the music and his live legacy. And that's what we should continue talking about, I think. So let's talk
3: about all the music that we saw in the vault. Quick thoughts on that round table. There's a lot of stuff in there. It's not just the one vault. There's other rooms of stuff as well. But the biggest thing that I noticed was it seems a mess. Like, there's just stuff all over the place. Like, there's an 86 song next to a 2011 concert, and it's just, I don't know, maybe there's a method to the madness, but it just seems like it's a mess, and everything's just been just chucked in there. I don't know. But there's so many, like, unknown, like, we know there's a million shows that have been recorded but there's just and there were so many song titles that you see that we're like we've never even heard before that's the thing i mean we we know the vault's full of stuff but to actually see titles of tracks and stuff it's like prince in the mpg 992, some unknown song that we've never heard blow your head off it's crazy <laughs> we just need to hear them now yeah that's but the yeah, cool part seemed, yeah. i mean they they are still all on these old like ampex tapes and stuff it's it, it seems like it's in a time warp too like there's you've got the old bomb massive computer sitting there which it's everything's like maybe catalogued on there and it looks like everything was just like frozen in like 1990 or something it's really funny to look it's a time warp that's what it is even though there is newer stuff in there there's just all these old old tapes and videos and real real tape oh it's crazy
1: as far of the as far as we know those vault tapes are not as badly they're not in in as bad a state as what some people were assuming yes. right because there was an article that came out recently that said don't worry most of the stuff is in pretty good nick or it can be put into good
3: shape be- because Iron of the modern Manhattan technology has every possible machine on earth to play anything and yeah, save that's anything right. So that's pretty cool. Hopefully pretty much everything will be salvageable, mm. which is great.
1: So that's exciting. And you know when I when when we started this show and I was like I'm so bloody excited. There's so much to talk about and so much going on. This is the sort of stuff that really gets my ears perked up and my eyes open and as Captain said the blow your head off moments. I think they're going to start. They started with nothing compares to you and the floodgates will open. And maybe there won't be floodgates, but the gates will open. They're starting to, and someone's going through all that stuff because they've already uncovered content for Deluxe and nothing compares to your release. So we know they're going to be putting things together. And this might be a good time to mention what is probably one of the most exciting pieces of news Prince fans around the world have heard in a long time, which is there is allegedly an entire unreleased album that will be coming out by the estate in 2018 now without september. knowing exactly what that is wow
4: i have my doubts it's going to come out this year i'll just i'll just put that out straight away oh, Ugh, there's always boring. one <laughs> someone has to be a downer they've
2: already yeah. announced the date it's the 28th of september
4: I yeah no i just i don't know i don't know what it is i read that today and i just thought no it won't it'll come out <laughs> in a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> that was just my and maybe that's just me being used to Prince teasing, like, this is coming out and it gets delayed and all this sort of stuff.
3: But I don't know. When I saw that, I just, I didn't buy it. (laughs) Just like any Prince thing that's ever been said to be coming out, I'll believe it when it's in my hands. (laughs) I say the same thing every time. Exactly. Okay, let's just let's
1: keep the positive, positive, optimistic vibes rolling here. And let's assume that it does come out on September twenty eighth, twenty eighteen. Mm. Any just from the top of the dong, off the top of your head's thoughts about that and <laughs> top, or top the do, dog. You, do you have <laughs> That's a 2004 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Outcast reference for anyone that didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> Shout out to Big Boy and Andre 3000 and Players' Stanconia shirt. But getting back to this thing, so quick thoughts about this, Slash, does anyone have any guesses? Does anyone want to put their neck out on the line about what it's going to be? It's a Warner's release. It's a Warner's
2: era Yeah, it's release. coming out
3: on Warner's. Ooh, okay. okay.
2: But it's but, from the Warners era as well. If you read between the lines of that interview of the guy from Spotify who's curating the vault or whatever, mm. you, you can pretty much read that that's what it is because uh, there was a question regarding the post-Warners thing and he he kind of really dismissed it. Mm. Mm. So that kind of suggests that it's not from that era and that the material from post-Warners is complicated and probably they can't, touch it at the moment due to You know Who owns it Or Reasons Yeah Whatever reason So I think Going back to Prince Forever With Moonbeam levels The Purple Rain Deluxe There's nothing compares It's all Of a Warner's era And Reading between the lines Of that interview It's This is something That they've found In that era That they'll Release on Warner Brothers records It just just, That's what it sounds
3: like Anything we say Is just guessing It could be anything Mm -hmm. From 78 To 92 92 It could be, um, you know, all I can hope is that it's something that we haven't heard before. Like, yes, it'd be great if it was like Dream Factory. But, you know, to be honest, most of us have heard Dream Factory. Maybe not in that quality, but we've heard it. I'd love to hear something totally unheard.
2: See, this is the problem because these curators that come in, like, what is their level of Prince nerdiness? So, you know, they might come in and they might find... Dream Factory and go, wow, let's release this totally unreleased album. Yeah. And to them, they don't know that hardcore fans have these albums. So the curator might think, wow, wait till the fans hear this. But then they release it and the fans go, well, we've heard all this, you know. So (laughs) it's, you know, if they've generally done their research and found something that no one has ever heard, then it's pretty exciting. But there is this part of me that thinks, you know, is it something that just because they're purely unaware of what's circulating, that they think they found something yeah. that's a gold mine? But you know, it'd be great to have in a better quality, sure. But in terms of you know something that we've never heard before, you we know, we can only
3: just... hope that they're talking to someone who can give them some idea of what people know about and what people have. I want to, I want to jump in. I
4: mean, a release of Dream Factory would be awesome. Yes it would be amazing if they released dream factory i mean you know all the versions we've got are like ones that people have stitched together and like the quality on this song is good the quality on the next song is not so good and it's a bit all over the place and is this really the right version of um you know that was intended for the album and we don't know like uh if they released like a master of dream factory the album that would be stellar that would be an amazing release um I, i really doubt that they're gonna find something from say, you know, 1982, 1983, 1984, 85. I doubt they're gonna find something from that era that isn't already circulating in the bootleg community. I mean they might they might find some, you know, super unfinished beat. With a bass and a bit of guitar or something, but, <laughs> but I mean, there's just not enough time. I mean, you know, this is stuff, this stuff's very well documented by people like Dwayne and Dwayne Tadal, yeah, the good people at the, who made the Vault book and and those sort of things. Uh, Pierre Nelson. I mean, you know, down to the day. You know, Prince was in this recording studio doing this, and I mean, it's hard to imagine that they're just going to pull out of nowhere like, oh, here's a full length mm. album from 1983 that no one's ever heard of. Like, it seems very well, unlikely.
1: Yeah, except for the fact that dwayne's book doesn't necessarily cover that period of time so if it's anything before yeah
4: i'm not only talking about dwayne's book i'm just talking about you know there are books out there that document you know on a weekly or a daily monthly basis sort of what's going on i mean i think it's more likely that in terms of finding stuff that's never been heard like no idea like from the late 90s to the 2000s that's where you're going to find stuff that no one like no one in the mm. community will know about um, yeah because there's just there is so much circulating stuff from the 80s it's ridiculous so i think it's gonna be hard for them to find something that no one's found
3: well, like when i say totally unheard of i don't care if i've heard the title of the track that's fine but we've never actually heard the track audio that's what i mean i don't mean we've never even heard of the title like you know like there was katrina's paper dolls and yeah love and sex like those songs yeah, we might have heard a title read it once somewhere, but we'd never heard those songs. That's the stuff that I'm talking about. One of the things that
2: excites me is they say that it's an original cohesive project. They haven't picked mm. and choose certain songs out of the Volta compilation album. So that to I me is, we might,
4: is I think good. we might be onto something with Dream Factory because that's the era we know that that was you know sort of put together. There's a point where you can even hear some of the segues in songs. Yeah, uh, in some of those bootlegs and even on even on ones that made it officially, as you can tell some of those edits and things.
3: It probably wouldn't be Crystal Ball, since most of that came out on Sign of the Times anyway. It probably wouldn't be the um, Camille album, since most of those tracks have come out as well. So Dream Factory is a pretty good guess, I think.
2: I wouldn't put it past
1: it. I love just sitting here. I've loved sitting here for the last probably few minutes, just listening to you guys like geek out and nerd out over what potential albums that they might be. And I'm laughing to myself, and obviously I don't know any more than you, but I'm laughing to myself because although my heart is with you guys, my mind right now is like in pure 100% Comerica Graceland mode. And what I'm thinking is, now let's not –
3: Okay, you you just answered the question then. You just answered the question. Yeah. They're obsessed with 1984. We figured that out. So they're going to release – before he put out Around the World in the Day, remember the Purple Rain 2, the album, was in the can. That's what it's going to be.
1: Could be. Well, that would be a complete (laughs) mind-blowing situation.
4: (laughs) I'm pretty sure that like Purple Rain 2 is Roadhouse Garden. I think they're the same thing. Could be.
3: Could be. If everything they've put out so far has been from 1984. Oh, Moonbeam levels maybe a bit earlier. Okay. Mm. But that's a pretty good guess too.
1: That's a very interesting guess. But the, the thing that I wanted just to say as a blanket kind of statement is everything that is coming out, as good as much of it is, is about making bank. It's about making money. It's about really marketing his legacy now commercially. It's... Not about making the small-ish, hardcore Prince fan community super happy and super over the moon. This isn't about, like, satisfying our desires. This is about continuing his legacy but doing so in a commercial
3: way. I don't know that for a fact, but that's what I'm saying is that's my gut feel. Uh, Yeah, okay. So what was his biggest selling album? Purple Rain. Purple Rain, exactly. So what's the best thing that's going to make more money? Purple Rain 2. Purple Rain 2, except for the fact that Purple Rain Deluxe came out, so it would have to be a different name, here. Yeah. It's the dumb, obvious choice that someone wanting to make money, would make. All they would see is Purple Rain's the biggest album. Oh, look, here's Purple Rain 2, unreleased. Bang, instant billion seller, done. Billion. That's the way they think.
1: That's hilarious. I don't know about billion, but what I would say is you could be onto something, but I doubt it's going to be called Purple Rain 2. Like, this isn't Home Alone, for God's sake. It's not Home Alone 2.
3: Oh, they'll come up with some ridiculous name, like After the Rain or some stupid rubbish.
1: (laughs) Rainbow rainbow purple rainbow um (laughs) so who knows but look purple rain deluxe is the legacy album the biggest one everyone knows so they come out with a deluxe version right now we know that was in the works but still it's a massive commercial release nothing compares to you massive commercial release prince forever that wasn't for the fans that was let's get some money in the bank Let's release another, yet another compilation, add one unreleased track for the hardcores so that we get both markets. Mm -hmm. We get the mass market and we get the hardcore nerd market. I don't think this is going to be any different. I would love to be proven wrong, but two years after his his tragic and unfortunate passing is not – and especially with all the crap going on and stuff going on with the estate, this is not the time for them to be going, oh, my goodness, this is the rarest thing ever. Let's release it and hope someone buys it. No, no, no. They're going to be releasing something that they're going to be able to market and say this was recorded at the same time that Prince was putting together his magnum opus, Purple Rain, with his greatest ever band, The Revolution, in 1984 when he had the number one album and the number one movie and the number one tour and this was also being done at the same time and now you can get it at best buy and (laughs) printestate.com that's what it's gonna be i think that's my guess but i'm still excited as as heck but i think let's not kid ourselves we're not about to hear raven to the joy fantastic from 1988 or madhouse 24 like let's be real (laughs) it's crazy mic drop so what we're saying what everyone's saying on the show is roadhouse garden okay that's probably what's coming Okay, let's talk about something entirely different and something that happened in Australia not too long ago, back in late March, right, guys? Late March, 2018, the new power generation band toured Australia. They played shows in Melbourne and in Sydney and in Byron Bay for the Blues Fest, and uh, we attended those. Let's talk about them. What were people's experiences of those shows and some highlights and, and cool memories? Throw me the ball. Toe jam.
4: Catch. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, so I attended the uh, Byron Bay Blues Festival show. Uh, I think they played two or three shows that weekend, and I went to the uh, Saturday Night one, which I think was one of the main ones. And um, I went down there with, I wouldn't say low expectations, but kind of ho-hum expectations. I was expecting it to be, I wasn't expecting it to be bad, but I was kind of thinking, oh yeah, how good can this be? And um, I thought it was really good. I thought Morris Hayes is doing a, a great job keeping that band alive, keeping that sound alive. I mean, it sounded like, it sounded like a Prince band. Uh, It didn't sound like um, Prince Karaoke, like a lot of people were kind of uh, predicting it might do. Kirk Johnson on the drums. Morris Hayes, obviously, on the keys and sort of running the band. Uh, Kit Blackshire on keys as well. Tony M rapping and guitaring. Damon Dixon dancing. Um, Some background vocals as well. And percussion. Tamar Davis as sort of the lead female vocalist, sort of playing the the Rosie Gaines um, slot. And Andre Simone, obviously there. Technically not originally part of the MPG, but certainly a very key Prince band member at at certain times. Mackenzie, obviously, the the vocalist who didn't sing as much as I thought he would. He probably only sang like maybe, probably less than half the concert, I think. I feel like I'm missing someone else. Oh, the guitarist. I forget his name. Who knows? Who remembers Homer. Homer O'Dell um, from Mint Condition. Mint Condition. And, uh, you know, good solo guitarist, worthy. I mean, I mean, it's it kind of a shame not to have an actual Prince Band member guitarist, but I mean, you know, he's obviously been around and he's a Minneapolis guy, I believe. And so, I, you know, I thought they were put on a great show and the crowd loved it. They sang along. And I, would, I really liked the way that they rotated the vocalists depending on the song. So, you know, Andre sang a lot of the early sort of 80s songs and um, mm. Mackenzie kind of sang the sort of more hit songs like uh, Kiss and Alphabet Street. And Tamar obviously um, did the female vocals for things, things like Beautiful, Loved and Blessed. So I thought it was good. I thought they captured a lot of different eras it was really good to hear some of the rarities especially some of the old mpg stuff like deuce and a quarter didn't see that coming Um, so i thought it was a really great show and um i know they're going to do some shows in europe later on and uh, i'd certainly recommend any of our european listeners to definitely go and check it out so i mean i think it's as close as it's as close to getting to a prince concert as we'll ever get from here on in so while i was down at blues fest i ran into um carol hill and steve bennett crazy prince fans Uh, steve bennett's got a couple of mentions on this show over the years and Carol was a big listener of the show, so shout out to you! Thanks a lot for all your support, and um, yeah.
3: Oh yeah, Hit follow um, follow Steve Bennett on Twitter because he puts some good Prince pictures up. Mm-hmm. Check that out. Awesome, awesome, Captain! What were your thoughts? I-, I was there with you. Yes, you were next to me, and so That's you guys right. were in the the Sydney show, right? Yes. When um when Juice and a Quarter started, <laughs> I, I just started punching MC, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> That was a funny moment. Yeah, I was sort of like Toe Jam. I just, I went in with no expectation, which is hard to do, to not have any expectation, but I really didn't have any. I didn't think it would be good or bad or great or average. I just went in like, this is going to be what it is. And it was great. It was so much better than I didn't expect because I didn't have any expectations, but it was really good. And, um... One of the good things was um, Purple Rain, where I think Mackenzie sang a verse, Tamar sang a verse, Mm, and was it Andre sang the other one? Or Kip? Kip. And they each did a verse, and it was really good. And then Homer did the solo pretty much note for note, so I was happy with that too, because it was good. Uh, But it was just a really good show. And like ToeJam said, it's probably the the closest that we're going to see, and... Yeah, MC. Man,
1: I loved it. I couldn't believe what I was hearing as far as some of the songs they were playing in the set list. So much of that music I had never heard live. Mm. Uh, sexy MF. I mean, deuce and a quarter. That was. Call insane. the Law. Call the Law. What the heck? That went off. Actually,
4: yeah, I think, I think
1: and Call the Law was the highlight. Yeah. That, and honestly, even though Tamar wasn't around back then during that era, she. Came. Killed it. We're getting busy. <laughs> I loved it. I loved the intensity of her vocals. I loved the intensity of the playing of the band. Kirk behind the drums. That was a real awesome part of the the experience of seeing this version of the MPG because he's like the original, you know.
3: Like Call the Law with Michael B on drums is pretty hard to top, but I've got to say Kirk surprised me, especially on that track. It was pretty damn good drumming. I mean, it's not a hard beat to play, but there's some some big fills in there and Mm. his drum kit sounded pretty good. Like that song, I'm like, damn, it sounds. That sounds really good.
1: Yeah, and and it was powerful too. Like there was a weight behind behind him. And
3: yeah, it wasn't just those crappy little '97 pads. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, this was a, this was a different kit, clearly. But the combination of him and Mono Neon was one of the biggest highlights for me. One of the reasons is that they sounded so bloody tight and so full. This had such mm. a full sound. Mono Neon, just the biggest legend, just kind of chilling. I don't think, honestly, I don't think he moved from the spot the entire night. He <laughs> was just like this guy in his neon colors, just grooving the entire night, just bobbing his head. No, while I think
3: when he anymore. did his solo, he did best. one step forward. Maybe, <laughs> but it was so cool.
4: He's actually pretty phenomenal. And to think that, you know, he was the last bass player that Prince was working with, it just blows the mind, like just thinking about, oh, man, the music those two must have come up with must be something special.
3: Black is the new Black. Maybe that's the next album coming out.
4: Mono is such like a –
1: he's such a free thinker and such a unique character and he's got this really interesting vibe and he plays – Super tight, but it's super fluid. Combining that with Kirk was really, really cool. So seeing them together, you know, as Prince's last official rhythm section really was was kind of crazy. Tony, not only was he doing all of the raps, he didn't meet a, miss a step. But he was also on rhythm guitar, which is crazy. I mean, yeah, Damon D. It's just it was it was an event, and I walked in so casual. I was just like, yeah. And within about five minutes, I was looking mm-hmm. at Captain, and I didn't say this to him, <laughs> but like, I don't know if he saw my facial expression. I was like, holy shit!
3: That, yep. Oh, wow,
1: these man, they are bringing it. And surely we had to say
3: it was at least like, oh, there was at least like five times you and me, like something happened and you and me just looked at each other. We didn't have to say anything. No, we knew. We... <laughs> yeah. It was either they were performing
1: a track or like the way they were playing it was like, holy crap. And, you know, I believe the only one on our show who actually saw the NPG from the early 90s live is player. And so I can't imagine what it would have been like to experience that. it's crazy yeah so (laughs) i'm not sure it would have reached those heights but for someone like me who never would have you know who never saw any kind of configuration and like i said hearing a lot of that music was was just a trip like get off oh man i'm i'm getting those those really good vibes and really good memories just thinking about it beautiful loved and blessed tamar killed it uh, and it was an emotional night as well. Like they partied, but they also really brought the feeling. Uh, I loved it. And I was just saying, Morris Hayes, we've got to thank him, not just for being awesome and for for playing his heart out as well, but putting that all together as the MD for the night and for the tour. What an incredible job. I think it's safe to say that Prince would have been super proud of what he and the guys and girls did. Yeah, it's probably as, as close as we'll ever get to true purple music, I think.
2: So. And Captain finally met Tony M. <laughs>
3: Oh, yeah. You mean
1: Tony M finally met Captain? <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's, that's right.
3: <laughs> yeah, that was good. What was it, after party, I guess? Yeah, yeah. everyone the, um, was super cool. Yeah, Morris and Tamar, were, I think there was like a cold a bug or something going around and they wanted to rest their voice, rest their bodies, so they didn't come to the after party, but that's fine.
1: Mm-hmm. Mono yeah. was was absent. Oh, yeah. yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. But yeah, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would come to something like that. <laughs> But yet, Kirk was there, Tony was there, Damon was there, Mackenzie, Andre, everyone was there. Everyone else was there.
2: Captain, MC, they
1: are all there. Rob S. was there. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone was there. MC and Rob S. were there at the same time. I wonder if they met.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That was really funny because MC, remember, everyone was like, everybody (laughs) wanted to talk to Tony. Everybody wanted to talk to Andre and Kirk. And then we saw Damon and he'd found like the only stool in the place and he was just sitting right in the back in the dark on a stool just sitting there chilling out watching everyone and I think MC you said to me oh look no one's talking to him look we should go and talk to him but he was cool so I went back to Damon and he's just sitting there just listening to the music and I'm like look at you just chilling out here in the back in the dark and he just looked at me with his grin he's like yeah that's what
1: he liked to do it was cool that's that's the life that reminded me he was chilling he was chilling like what, what does Wally Selford say he was chilling like a fat tick on a dead rat's back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. It was a good night. It was a good night. And Captain
2: uh, Tony M recited your New York story to Kirk and Damon. So, oh right? Oh,
3: yes. Yeah, we, we really, I really wanted to get a photo with me and MC and Tony, Damon and Kirk. Original Game Boys. TDK. We got him out on the balcony and um, there was no one else. out. There's like one other person just out there. And um, I don't think I even brought it up. Tony started telling the story of when we met Prince to Damon and Kirk. And of course, the Jim Crow line came up, which was hilarious. And up until then, I don't think Kirk had even like he'd barely cracked a smile that I noticed (laughs) the whole time. But he was actually laughing then. So I was happy to see that. It was just so funny for me. To hear Tony tell that story. That was the the weirdest thing about it. <laughs> Me and MC, you're standing there. Who were there at the time, and then Tony M is telling. <laughs> he's, <reciter. laughs> he's telling us the story. Well, actually, I was just going to say
4: about um Damon. I got I get the impression like it wouldn't surprise me at all if like you know if you think of the Game Boys, you think of crazy choreography, and you know Tony M is is a character, but I don't see him like being the one coming up with the choreography. Uh, maybe maybe that's wrong. I don't know. Kirk Johnson is obviously you know a very talented guy. Does a lot of things. Was Prince's right hand man drummer probably more i I get the impression from him he's more of an organizer someone who organizes stuff and gets things happening whereas it wouldn't surprise me if like damon was kind of the more creative guy in that trio in terms of the ones coming up with like crazy dance moves i don't know that's just the impression i get
3: i'd say that um i'd say i think damon probably is is or was the best dancer out of of those three Like, Captain, starting
1: doing like some- beef
3: now. <laughs> that night at that after party, he was dancing with a few of the girls. Hello. And he started doing some crazy dancing stuff.
1: Let's well, not reveal the trade secrets now. Hmm. <laughs> so, anyway,
2: yes, we got new websites. So there was princeestate.com, which chronicles all the discography. So, what um, was it? Prince's
4: Date. <laughs> I told him
1: hasn't even looked at it. That's how interested he is. No, I heard about it.
2: Princeestate.com. Princeestate. <laughs> And then there was princetome.com, which is kind of like a tribute page where you can leave your dedications. And there was the Prince Hit and Run store. So that's some new news.
3: That shop store thing, that was also there last year, wasn't it, around the same time? Yes.
2: For like yeah. five days and they closed it. It's, well, it's called Hit and Run stuff.
3: Yeah, because like the nothing compares to you that came out on vinyl, on some fancy coloured vinyl, wasn't that limited to a number or something?
2: I think so, yeah.
3: as soon I think it was 1984 or something. And as soon as I saw that, I'm just like, that annoyed me. Because I'm yeah, just like, you. you're trying to like create a collectible thing when all through Prince's career, he didn't have to try and do that. It just happened. Yeah, I see make what you're saying. a collectible thing, and it's yeah. just like, I'll oh, just sell it. Come on! So every year on the anniversary of his death, you can buy something to commemorate that. It's just dumb to me. I still and Ooh. I still don't understand. We'll get to the celebration later. I still don't know why it's around April the twenty first. That is just still stupid to me. Why? Why? <sighs> anyway, <laughs> Dom will tell us the answer later. Oh, well, Dom!
1: If Dom has the answer, he can tell us. I don't know that he will, but. <laughs> I mean... I'm going to ask him. Uh, they've decided on that, and and it is what it is. I, I don't really have a big issue with it. I mean, you, you guys probably all remember, I'm sure you all remember that Melby interview from 1998 when Prince somewhat strangely said, I'll celebrate the day I die. So, you know, there's always that, but it ain't going to change. I, I think it's safe to say that every April 21st going forward is going to mean something of significance for purple music lovers all around the world. And now... Uh, Let's talk about some pretty special concerts that many of us experienced not too long ago in Australia. Of course, I'm referring to the Nothing Compares to Prince concerts that were put on in Sydney and Melbourne in late April 2018. With an amalgam of all sorts of musicians from all different eras, All Prince eras, all Prince music, all Prince people. That's what the poster said anyway.
3: Were these, these three shows... Were they world first? Yeah. Correct. So yeah, we were the first yeah. ones to get these shows, so that's pretty cool.
1: It's very, very cool. Who knows why Australia was chosen out of everywhere, but I was talking to someone before the sh- concert, just a random Prince fan, and he said to me, isn't it funny, like, Prince had this habit of coming to Australia occasionally just to try new things so piano and mic is a good example
3: yep. exactly the same thing with this we're a good little test market
1: mm. welcome to Australia kind of was but kind of wasn't because he did a, you know the welcome to America stuff before then so that doesn't really make sense 2003 shows yeah the 2003 shows before Musicology I don't know whether or not Australia was first or last on the Diamonds and Pearls tour player, our resident Absolutely. Diamonds and
3: Pearls tour we were second after Japan That's right. Japan got, I think, a few shows first.
1: Then Australia, and then it went to Europe. So there you go. Uh, At least a few examples of when Prince did that. And this time... You know, Prince's related artists and musicians that played with him through throughout the years got together. And under the banner of this, nothing compares to Prince" concert experience. And uh, yeah, a few of us were there. So I was in Sydney. I saw the Sydney shows. And I saw Melbourne.
4: And I think we should uh, let our listeners in on this little story. MC was always like... We kept saying, are you going to go to these shows, MC? No, nah, I'm not going to go. No, nah. nah, I'm good. You know, I don't need to see these guys. It's all good. And I think the three of us collectively, I don't know about you two, but I, just, I suspect you guys felt the same, that the moment you heard those words, in the back of your mind, you're like, MC will be there, as if he's not going to be there. <laughs> well, the extension bit to that story is that I ended up getting
1: a ticket three hours, four hours before the actual gig. So it was really last minute. I was literally driving past that part of Sydney and I was like, okay, either I stay in the car and, you know, drive myself home or I do the opposite, pull over, buy a ticket and spend the evening at the opera house. So yeah, it was a last minute call. Captain, I think you kind of had a similar thing.
3: Yeah, I wasn't planning on going. I just didn't feel any need to go to it. I agree. Because I thought, after I saw MPG, I'm like, yep, I'm good. But then every week or so, I'd look at the tickets and I'm like, oh, it's like 160 bucks, 120 bucks. I'm like, I just don't want to spend that much money either. And then literally a few days before the show, it came up on last ticks for 50% off. And I'm like, like 72 bucks or something. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll go. Hmm. So I got a ticket. It was way up in the balcony, but yeah, I went to.
1: Yeah. I had a similar experience. I think it was that on sale thing that did me the half price thing. And the other thing that... Really tipped me over the edge was, and, and now after experiencing the show, I think I made the right call in, in this aspect. Seeing musicians that played with Prince throughout the years that I haven't as yet seen is actually a pretty big calling card, I've realized in retrospect now. So we'll, we'll get into this, but mm. let's just say that I think for both of us, Captain, and for um, Toe Jam as well, we saw on the MPG tour in, back in March there were people that we'd never seen live before and we were witnessing them perform in front of our eyes for the very first time. And this nothing compares to Prince Joe was very much like that for me as well. I don't know if it was like that for you, captain. But... Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was really cool. Okay. So let's go chronologically. The Sydney shows were first. I went to night two in Sydney. There were two nights in Sydney and one, one night in Melbourne. So I went to the second night in Sydney at the Sydney opera house. And for me, look, all jokes aside about tickets uh, being on sale and, 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 you know, band members that I'd seen before or not, the real big factor in me not really being interested in watching this show initially was the Sydney Opera House, the venue. I said to a few people in the weeks and months leading up to it that I want to stay away from that venue when it comes to Prince music. I want my last memory. I made all these massive you know, statements, these big statements saying, I never want to see Prince music on that stage. I want to remember uh-uh. him as the last person to play his music there. Obviously, I gave in right at the end. And you know what? The opposite of what I thought happened within, I don't know, five or 10 minutes was like, man, what was I thinking? This is a celebration, you know, pardon the pun, but it was mm. a celebration of his life's work, which is his music. And regardless of your own thoughts about each individual track chosen or um, arrangements or whatever, you could not fault, in my opinion, you really couldn't fault the performance as much. I mean, they were really solid overall. Heaps of the um, on-stage. Action was actually brought by the horns. Like, they just added so much to the show, I I thought, those three horn players. Of course, we're talking about BK Jackson, Adrian Crutchfield, and Lynn Grissett. Those three guys really came together and created a really thick, lush horn sound. It was funky, it was soulful, the arrangements were brilliant. It's really cool. It was like watching um, part of the Montreux 2013 big band performance mixed in with like a little bit of the 2006 to 2008 era because Cora Coleman, who for me outside of the horns was the big highlight of the show. And I don't really know if too many people are talking about her in particular, but I Man, half the show, honestly, I spent looking at her. The way she drums is so visually appealing. You know, like Blackwell was a great drummer, but what made him super cool to look at was just the way he moved and the way he twirled sticks and stuff. Well, she's mm. got a similar thing, not so much in stick twirling, yeah. but there's just something about her vibe. She just gets Prince's music as a drummer. Uh, I don't know if you, Captain's probably going to have something to I say sp- about that. I
3: spent I- a lot of time looking at Cora too. <laughs> <laughs> And the thing is, half the time I was like, we were in the elevator with her. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's thinking. true. That's true. <laughs> she just yeah. does stuff that makes you want to look at her. Yeah, yeah like yeah. Blackwell, she like she's just chucking her arms around, and you just she draws your eye by yes. what she does, like by how she plays.
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. That was my ex- my experience too. And the other thing that I loved about her contribution to the show, outside of the sound, the pure audible noise that she was making, was the joy in her expression. Like she was laughing, she was smiling a lot. She was so into these shows And I'm not, you know, everyone on stage was celebrating and was giving it their all. We'll get to Shelby in a second, but there was something magical about seeing Cora, this this drummer who I'd never seen before live, but who I'd seen footage of
3: really bringing it to the stage. So that was good. You know, the funny thing talking about drummers, I'd like, I never rated Kirk as a, a great drummer compared to other Prince drummers. But then after seeing MPG play not that long ago I'm like okay he's pretty good he's better than Mm. what I thought because i would never seen him play live and that's different to just watching some footage and I'm like okay he's pretty good and it was the same for Cora I never thought Mm. Cora was a great drummer because I'd never seen her live I'd just seen some footage and always you're going to compare to like Sheila E and Michael Bland and it's like oh come on but then again after seeing her live I'm like wow she's pretty damn good it's it's, it's just funny
1: yeah pretty damn good I think is an understatement as well like I was taken the back. Just brilliant playing all around. The other thing I'll say is Shelby J is the undoubted uh I don't know I don't know that I have the words to describe what Shelby brought to the show. I'll just say feel. She 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 brings a certain feel that just reminds you of two things. It reminds you of obviously her time playing with Prince because at all, like she's just, I don't know how she manages to do it, but like watching her in 2018, there's no difference between watching her in 2018 and 2011, for example. She's the same energy, same vibe, same charisma. She's just got, I don't know, some sort of intangible stage presence. She does.
3: She does. It was funny because like Paul was the MD, Paul was the band leader, but it just felt like Shelby was running that show, even though she wasn't. She's got that stage presence, which sad to say, I don't think anyone else (laughs) on that stage had like, like she does.
1: I agree with you. I completely agree with you. She had like everyone just eating out of the palm of of her hand. I I don't know. It's just, it's magical to see her. And initially when she joined Prince's band years ago, I really wasn't that crash hot on Shelby J. Honestly. I, I mean, she was kind of running around and twirling flags and all this sort of stuff and
3: put your hands and, up
1: yeah all that kind of stuff and doing chants and I really wasn't feeling her early in the early days for whatever reason then in around 2012 when they came to Australia in 2013 and on there was, she just started like blossoming as a performer. And now she's almost like the torchbearer for Prince's last kind of his last era, I want to say. For some reason, she just makes me smile every time I think of her on stage. And um, I think that's possibly why Prince put her in the spotlight so much is that outside of the fact that she's a really soulful vocalist, and she really brought it on stage at the opera house, I have to admit, vocally, there's a there's that intangible emotion that she brings and just joy of playing and and singing in front of an audience. So that was cool.
4: It's really interesting to think that at the moment and I guess for the last 6 months and probably in the next 6 months as well, there's basically been like three sort of semi-official tribute bands. You've got The Revolution have been touring America. You've got the MPG and you know The Revolution obviously represent the 80s, the MPG represent the 90s and you know potentially this band with people like Shelby and Cora and Cassandra, you know, represent the 2000s. So it's it's kind of cool that you've got these three tribute bands out there that sort of pick
3: mostly from those different ears we can't talk about every band member for 10 minutes you know
1: no we can't uh, and Dems mentioned Cassandra <laughs> I have to put a shout out to live just a quick shout out to live because although Shelby I think did steal the show every time live was behind the mic oh yeah she probably had the most powerful I, I would say she had the most powerful vocals Shelby was soulful as heck she's like tear the roof off vocal power so that was fantastic as well I mean that's pretty much it from me other than one last comment. Which is, we haven't even spoken about the songs. And man, talk about throwing in some surprises in the set list. Man, like The Cross. Woo! Hello. Even
3: Even though it was an extended version, it was crazy to hear that song live. I was surprised to hear The Cross, but I also thought for such a simple song... Somehow they made it messy. Really? I don't know about In Sydney, but the Melbourne one, it was just like pretty much every other song was good. It was very close to how it should be. But the cross is such a simple thing. It's two damn chords on the guitar and the most basic drum beat you can do, but it was just sloppy. Mm, Okay. Yeah, I didn't get that sense in Sydney for some like, reason. I was but... happy to hear it because, you know, that's something we haven't heard and we probably won't hear, but it was just like, oh, come on. It's not that hard to do it right.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Well, like I said, a different experience in, in the cities, I, I must say. But the thing about that song that I was a little bit disappointed by was it was too short. I wanted it to be twice as long, get into that, like, you know, massive ending and coda, but that didn't happen.
3: They did the whole song in Melbourne.
1: Ah, so, over they here, did, they, they only did yeah. like three and a half minutes. They didn't do
3: like as oh, much so as I expected. It's not that much longer, is it? Mm, maybe five or six minutes, I want to say. But look, I, I just got to say, the best song would have been in Melbourne for me was Alphabet Street. And yes. Yes, yes, yes. Something else that faded in and out of Alphabet Street. I can't remember what it was. That was the uh, highlight. That was
1: good. That was the
3: highlight yep. for sure. Which, you know, the funny thing was, same for the mpg shows alphabet street was probably
4: my favorite hmm. song well i mean i'm not sure what they did in for the nothing compares shows but you know the mpg were doing the the arrangement that prince was doing for the last 15 years you know it's real slime the family stone like that stuff's really cool did they do that sort hmm. of thing or- uh,
1: yes and no for me in sydney it was like it was a weird arrangement it was funky as hell but there were some parts where they actually changed the key it was, it was a little bit different. It was a little exactly.
3: bit... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there were surprises in the set list. I, I reckon the most, I don't know, emotional thing was when um, Cassandra did Sometimes It Snows in April. I look around and yeah. everyone's bawling.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: Was it the same in Sydney? Probably.
1: Pretty much, yeah. And bawling as in not like bawling with jewellery around the neck, like <laughs> crying, <laughs> crying their eyeballs out.
3: We haven't even talked about Tyka. Tyka came out, she sang... I think "Scandalous" and "The Ladder." Yes, and then she was off. We didn't see her again till the end. That's a good. I'm happy you brought up Tyker, and I'm
1: even happier that you brought up those those two songs, in particular "The Ladder." I was freaking out just hearing that that music because I don't think I've ever heard that song before.
3: But just the way they transitioned into, into that was pretty good. Because then, yeah. as soon as I heard and like the chord changes, I'm like, oh, "It's the ladder." <laughs> Yeah, it was cool And then as soon as good. I heard the latter I'm like They're doing the songs Co-written with John L. Nelson was the first thing I thought
4: Oh, yeah Because like,
3: I know that they are And then she even said it After that She said it, yeah
4: Of course I was trying to think What, like That's a weird connection But yeah, the moment you say that It's like, oh, of course
3: why didn't they do Computer Blue then? Exactly. <laughs> but it was interesting they did that because um, as soon as Taika came out, I'm like, okay, I do have her 1988 Royal Blue album. Or I can't even remember what it is now. Oh, you just but remembered I, pretty clearly, I cannot Captain. remember... I think
1: you might be a regular listener.
3: I don't know if that's the correct year or the correct name, but I think it's a good guess. That's a very, you got it exactly right. Don't, I don't know why you're playing around with But I couldn't remember, you know, can she sing? I couldn't even think. But then she came out and I'm like, <laughs> okay, this sing. is it. Here we go. This is what it's, it's going to happen right now. We're going to find out. Moment. This is it. and And I'm like, oh, she can sing. Okay, fine. And then after that, I was like, okay. This is okay. But until that, I was thinking, oh, I don't know, when she's going to come out? What's going to happen? What's it going to be like? I have to admit,
1: I had some slight trepidation as well about that moment. And um she did all right. I mean, she surprised me. There was a musicality, definitely, that I wasn't expecting. Okay, well, Captain, I mean, I'm done unless you have some other things that you didn't cover
3: well no it was a good show like again even like with the mpg show i wasn't didn't really have any expectation and then with this was the same i didn't know what it was going to be i didn't know who was going to do what i wasn't even sure who was going to be walking out on that stage because i didn't even pay that much attention before because i wasn't planning on going Mm. Did, um, did you meet and
2: greet did you talk to some people
3: i didn't there was a massive queue and um I just didn't want to get in that queue for some reason. I was happy just hanging around talking to everyone. I saw them all sitting there and signing <laughs> everything, and I saw everyone that I knew going through that queue, but I didn't do it. But it was it was good. We didn't get sound check in Melbourne, I think, because they came down later in the day, and just yeah, that yeah. didn't happen. Which it did in Sydney, I think.
1: In Sydney it was a little bit better. I unfortunately missed sound check, but ended up being at the meet and greet prior to the show. That was cool. It wasn't I was expecting it to be like more informal, just hanging around talking, but they had this table set up and everyone was signing stuff, which was yeah. fantastic for for people that brought stuff, but I didn't cuz it was a last minute thing. I didn't have anything with me and
3: well that was the other thing. I didn't have anything either, so I'm like, "Well, what am I going to line up for?" And then they had this staff guy from the venue walking around going, "If you're in this queue and you don't have if you didn't buy something from this merchandise stand, they're not going to sign it. Don't even bother." And it's like, oh, for God's sake, seriously? People were yeah, just well, getting like the ticket signed and stuff that I saw later on. I'm like, oh, for God's sake, I could have been in that queue.
1: We didn't have anything like that at Sydney. It was a little bit more chilled. But one of the things that I did was I walked up to a couple of the uh, – Lynn and
3: and I think
1: Adrian from memory and mentioned that I was at, in Switzerland back in the day, you know, five years ago at Montreux Jazz Festival. Said, Don't and you sort know of stuff. who
3: I am? I'm pitching yeah. my podcast.
1: Well, they were surprised. They were surprised that I mentioned that because like we're in Australia and this guy's talking about Switzerland. But – It was cool. It was cool to say hi. And um, who else? Oh, Shelby, at the end of the show, I came up to her really, really quickly just before things started getting crazy because everyone wanted a piece of them and photos and all this sort of stuff. Mm. And I said, Oh, hi, Shelby. Um, My name's Rob. I don't know if you know of our show. We do a show here in Australia. It's called the Peach and Black Podcast. The minute I said that,
2: she She said, She said, Rob, I don't know. I, I only
1: know an MC. (laughs) That's what said. <laughs> Possibly. Well, the reality was that she actually like kind of flinched and looked at me and she's like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Peach and black, peach and black. I know. I know them. And so that was cool. So there was no like messing about. She knows the show. She listens. Well, she didn't say that, but we know you,
4: we know, we know what you're, what you're about, Shelby. <laughs> I just want to, say, this is a total anecdote, but like Shelby J must do like a Facebook live thing like every day and, um, <laughs> you click on them and they're, they're always the same. They're always just like super positivity She, she just loves life. And like, you always start them and think, oh man, she'll be so cheesy, but you know, you watch five minutes of them and you can't help, but like, just be, it makes you happy just seeing someone just so happy with life. Like it's, it's just really good. Uh, so that was cool and uh, and then I was
1: like, oh, I'm gonna let you sign all this stuff, so I'm just gonna split, but I wanted to thank you for um bringing so much light and energy and positivity to to the show, you know it was just amazing so she was she was cool with that and uh yeah, that was it, so I'm happy I went. It was a brilliant show. The arrangements were different the the songs were on the whole I, I would say unique arrangements. And they were really, really funky, without a doubt. The NPG arrangements were more in line with, I guess, the rawer, purer purple Mm. music. In other words... They were closer to Prince's kind of. Um, well, he's yeah. on stage sound over the last few
0: years. Well, you could this tell like really Morris was different. playing
3: all the arrangements that he knew. That he knew, from yeah. All those years, and then Paul came in on these shows, and I suppose he was just looking back at footage and listening to those arrangements, and then putting his own twist on them. So they were different than mm. the MPG ones.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely different,
3: but none, no less
1: enjoyable. Uh, I think the the distinction is, as I said, one was closer to Prince's live sound from the last kind of five or 10 years. And another one was more 80s funk, Minneapolis funk with a twist, which was, you know, Paul's ideas of how to set things up and transition. And that was actually kind of cool because you hear so that, like we as hardcore fans are so used to a certain sound. And he would throw in little things here and there that kept the music kind of fresh, I thought. And uh, that was cool. Okay. So let's go into a somewhat exciting part of our show now. We're going to bring on a super special guest. He is Dom.
2: Dom from Diamonds and Pearls Photography. And there we go. he took some awesome shots of the MPG shows. He's actually done some uh, shots of Peach and Black.
4: He did the uh, the infamous uh, photo outside the Sydney
3: Opera House. Oh yes, oh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah—the
4: yeah.
3: Oh, one that Prince liked and retweeted to everybody.
1: So let's welcome to the show now a special guest who just recently wasn't even in Australia. It was flying around somewhere around the world. I think it was called Minneapolis, Minnesota, allegedly. And uh, his name is Dom from Diamonds and Pearls Photography. As Player said, he has been taking photos for us, but not only for us, he's been taking photos all over the globe. And uh, most recently, I think, he took some absolutely incredible shots, performance shots, behind-the-scenes shots, all sorts of stuff of the... Uh, Nothing compares to Prince shows as well, which is really, really cool. You can check that out on Facebook, and I'm sure Dom can promo the heck out of himself after I finish talking. (laughs) But uh, what else is there to say? Other than to say, welcome to the show, Dom Skikigliachi, or whatever whatever they're (laughs) (laughs) called. Hoping you get that reference, if you know what I'm talking about. But welcome to the show, Dom, on the Peach and Black podcast. Here we go. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a man who's jet lagged. It's an honor to be
6: here. Thanks, guys.
1: (laughs) You sound very excited. (laughs) I've got a big smile on my face. Yeah, you only got off a plane not too long ago, so we can imagine you've been trawling through the air and all that sort of stuff. Okay, you've landed back in Australia. Where have you been, Dom, and what have you experienced? Tell us all about it.
6: Well, I went to um, (laughs) Minneapolis for the celebration. I was there a whole week, so I arrived Just before celebration started, celebration goes for four days and then we stayed an extra three days after that. So yeah, just got to experience everything that was on that week, which was a lot. It's just kind of like a purple festival, pretty much. Um, There's the celebration and then there's just a whole load of events organized around that because a lot of people don't go to celebration, mainly because they can't afford it. So if they don't go to that, then they've got all these other events to go to, which is great. It's probably the best time to be in Minneapolis for a Prince fan.
1: And so for all of our listeners, you're obviously Australian based, like four of us are on the show just give our listeners a bit of a backstory. Was this your first time in Minneapolis? Was this your first time at Paisley Park? Was this your first time in America? (laughs) I don't know.
6: Yeah, this was my first ever time in the US. Um, Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, as a kid, like, like a lot of us probably, you know, I've always kind of dreamed of going to the US. But when you think of that, you're thinking about going to Disneyland and you know, doing all the those sorts of touristy things. But this trip was, for unfortunate reasons, pretty much going there. You know, I call it the trip Purple Pilgrimage, and that's exactly what it was. Mm. It was a purple pilgrimage for a week, and I flew into Minneapolis, stayed a week, and flew straight back out. <laughs> I didn't go anywhere else. Wow. So this was the first time for, for everything for me.
1: And you were there, obviously, at the celebration, as you said, which is a four-day festival at Paisley Park. Did you have the normal seats? Did you have the VIP experience? What was your situation like?
6: Yeah, I, I had VIP um, tickets. Okay. And, uh, I mean, it's not that much different than the general admission, but it turned out that there were some major differences um, I found out afterwards, talking to uh, other fans that had, had got the GA tickets. So I went with my brother and my sister-in-law, John and Ally, and um, that was pretty much the whole reason why I went, because my brother was going, he told me he was going, and I've always wanted to go to Paisley Park with my brother. So I made, I made a very sort of tough decision at the time, because it was something I wasn't expecting, and financially, it wasn't happening, but uh, I worked it out. Yeah,
3: we just we went all out. We got
6: VIP tickets, and um, we just we said that we're going to try and do as much as we can in that week.
3: Well, if you're spending all that money to go all the way there, you might as well do bloody everything and get the VIP. Yeah. Do everything, and don't just if you already flew all the way there and, and accommodation <laughs> everything, you're not going to cheap out on the bloody actual ticket. Yeah, well,
6: yeah, that was definitely my attitude. Anyway, I mean, I, mm. I don't know if I'll ever get the chance to do this again. So that was my mindset that I was going there and just making the most of it, you know, trying to get as much as I can in and and try and experience as much as I could.
1: So tell us about that first moment when you get to the gates of Paisley Park that, you know, as you said, the Purple Pilgrimage, it's like the Mecca for Prince fans, right?
6: Well, uh, having VIP tickets we had our own parking we were able to drive our car we had we hired a car and we were able to drive our car and park it in the car park right at the front so that was one of the perks of, of having a vip ticket So we would go there. Our first session, for example, which was on the Thursday, was at 5 p.m. And, you know, we'd get there maybe a half an hour earlier, sometimes 45 minutes to an hour earlier, and just park and just hang out a bit, look at the uh, tribute wall, you know, speak to other fans. I was mainly being me, taking photos and video.
1: always working. Always working. (laughs)
6: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That was my kind of... um, experience when we first went there i was just first thing i was focused on is um getting a sign up on the trip on the tribute wall because it was already filling up and i had a pretty big sign so i wanted to get my spot so that was the first thing i did hmm. and then um i started doing some filming and, and taking photos and and uh my brother actually my brother and, uh, and ali they had walked in without me <laughs> Which was fine. We all had our tickets. Um, and I walked in pretty much at the last minute, like five to five or something. But it was still cool. Like, I still had time. So, I, pr- I pretty much rushed myself in there.
2: Because you're filming, you're putting footage together to do uh, like a little documentary that you're putting together and putting online for people to check out.
6: Yeah. I'm doing a, um, like a slash my experience slash guide. Um, oh, wow. Kind of thing because when when i decided to go i was trying to find videos that people put up on youtube for example of celebration of of their experience and i could hardly find anything i was like didn't people film anything like you know so that's when the way the idea started well well, you know maybe i should make a video of what i'm going to experience and then Hmm. all the places i'm going to go to and what you can do and you know what there is to see and etc etc and
2: so in 12 months time this will be definitely up online and people can
1: find this. <laughs> I
6: hope it's a lot less than 12 months time.
1: So you're um, you're talking about getting in, you know, you barely make it to this five o'clock well, the celebration opening in effect, right? And that's the beginning of four. I'm imagining some pretty crazy days over there. And you're there for four days experiencing, what, five or six hours a day of content, material, talks, concerts, all this sort of stuff, footage. Mm-hmm. What were some of the highlights? What was the experience like?
6: I mean, overall, it was just incredible. I remember the last day and I didn't even want to leave. I was, um, when we had to leave that Sunday night, I was crying my head off. I I just didn't want to go. And I was thinking, oh, man, I wish I could, you know, I wish I lived here. I would come here every week and, you know, (laughs) and hopefully watch something if something was on. But, yeah, I mean... It's a surreal experience, just being in Prince's home. I was just saying I, I rushed in that first day and I walked in and went into the the atrium where Princes Ernie's and I just quickly looked at it and kept walking because I had to go to the sound stage where everything was going to start. But then there was this cabinet and it had um, Prince's it had three things in there. It had Prince's last microphone, you know the one with the symbols, the big symbol and the small symbol. Mm. On the third I go tour. And then it had the his last guitar that they gave him, the Schechter one with the the golden purple one. Yeah. That he never ended up playing. And then on the right of it, it caught my eye straight away it was the gold happy bait um symbol guitar. And I was like, oh my God, wow. <laughs> and um I started looking at it in detail and I started noticing marks on it. And that's when it hit me, oh my god, I'm in Prince's home. And I just <laughs> stopped <laughs> and I went back to the atrium. And, and then I just stood there for like yeah, at least three minutes and just said, just just take it in now. Just stop, <laughs> because I was just in a rush, rush, rush. That guitar, looking at that guitar and seeing it, that just stopped me in my track and thought, okay, you gotta you gotta take this all in now. And, and uh, I was very emotional, but walking into the sound stage just absolutely blew my mind. The sound stage the concerts it's a um, massive room that oh it's just how many times have we watched videos and, and stuff concerts that he's done in there but it yep. just doesn't do it justice when you walk in there and the height is, is what really freaked me out the height of it you just can't believe that this guy built this facility just for himself <laughs> Mm. It's just crazy it's it really yeah. you, you really you walk in there thinking this is really crazy you can just imagine like another artist thinking that they've you know they might have something over Prince, but they walk mm-hmm. in that room they're like Holy crap.
3: Holy crap. This is <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
4: I've got nothing on
6: prints. Like, this is, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it really is nuts. And that, that blew me
4: away. Do they still have the massive, like, symbol painted on the door? And no. Like, and, like, the big symbol light with all those little bulbs in it from, like, the new Yeah, they had,
6: they had that in the top, yeah, top corner hanging down and, and flashing, which looked really cool. But they don't have um, the symbol on the doors. I recently just found out that I thought that they took that off. <laughs> But um, I've seen some photos of before, and he had already taken it off, apparently. So, um, yeah, that was, but the doors were there, and even the doors themselves are like so huge. And I, there was one day I actually went up and grabbed the handle and just opened it, (laughs) just
3: just to Mm. experience that. (laughs) I just wanted to do it. I wasn't supposed to, but I just did it anyway.
1: Stalker alert.
3: 20 years from now, you'll be like, remember when I opened that door at Paisley Park?
1: Somebody get (laughs) Wally Safford. Get this guy out of here.
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, actually,
6: Wally, yeah, Wally was the host, which surprised me. Um, He even had a photo session. We had a photo session with Wally. Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. That was pretty cool. But uh, yeah, that was unexpected. I wasn't expecting Wally. To be the host but he was funny he was a funny guy you got to hold some things during the tour uh, the first day for us was was the best day because we did our tour that day and sheila E. played that day and she was she was the best performance of the whole weekend but yeah, in the tour, we, uh, we went into Studio B and um, you know, we walk into Studio B in the control room. We're just looking around and I don't know her name, but the lady who organises the, she organises the all the clothing and all that, uh, the archives. She walked in. I, I recognise her straight away because I've seen her in interviews on TV. She walks in and she goes, oh, we've got a surprise for you guys. I'm like, okay. And she pulls out the Oscar. She goes, you're going to get to hold it. <laughs> like, oh, my God. So that just out of nowhere, that came out of nowhere. We weren't expecting it. So they had like a whole load of gloves and we just put the gloves on and we just passed it around. Troy Goyle was actually in our group. And oh, he's
3: the guy who does the little puppet yeah. things, miniature, yeah. Yeah, and he
6: handed it to me and we just kept handing it over. Uh, it was just unbelievable. unbelievable. It, was, it was definitely a highlight of the weekend. Um It was so heavy. You just can't. Get over how heavy it is, and we had gloves on, so we had to be extra careful because it was so slight; could have easily have slid off our hands, and you know we would have done a prince because he he uh, apparently dropped it himself. And as we were holding it, they were telling us a story of how after he got it that night, I don't know if it was on the plane or the bus or something, he left it in the overhead compartment. <laughs> he walked out of the bus, and they're like, "Where's your Oscar?" He's like, "Oh, oh I left it in I left it in the in the bus." <laughs> They had to go and get it it's like oh my god so yeah that was that was really unbelievable yeah after that we took our photos um uh, i'm sure you've all seen you know photos that everybody gets taken um, that was in studio b and um for me that was the most important part of the whole trip getting that photo it's the only photo in inside with you in it so yeah, um, that for me was very, very important. Um, they kept saying, oh, one photo only per member. And I was like, oh, no, I want a photo of my brother and I want a photo of me. <laughs> so I made a take-two and um, oh, it was just incredible. just yeah. yeah.
3: Going in the studios, like when I did that, your head just spins because you're just sitting there and they're like going he recorded this song in this studio and he recorded this album and he sat on this chair and records his vocals yeah. and you're just standing there and you're like, I'm in this room. It's insane. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is.
6: Yeah. I think they they said Studio B was built before Studio A. So he started using Studio B straight away. But um yeah, he that was the first studio he used in Paisley Park.
1: And uh, you spoke about Sheila. You said she was the best performance of the over the four-day period. Yeah. What about concert footage that you saw? Tell us a bit about that.
6: Um, well, there was only two. There was only two concerts that we saw. Uh, the first one was the piano and microphone at Paisley Park. So they recorded the whole thing, obviously. And we
2: watched that first. What kind of footage days. is that? Is it, is it like um, one camera? Is it multi-camera? Is it?
6: It's a multi-camera. Probably about three three or four cameras. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, one, it- you can mm. tell that one of them, like maybe two of them were still. So they were just still. Yeah. No one was actually moving them. And then another couple were, someone was operating them. And it's uh, like HD
2: was- footage, like very... Oh, yeah.
6: We we, we had um, in the sound stage we had a massive, massive screen. It was like going to the cinema pretty much and, mm. and watching it on the big screen. So um, the first thing they played when we walked in the, the first day was the nothing compares to you video that had just come out that day. So everyone was already crying their heads off uh, wow. watching that. That was And that was like the first 10 minutes, you know, because we'd never seen that footage before. Uh, that, and just the sound, the sound in that room is just incredible. It just blows you away. You just can't believe how good that room is. But um, yeah, and then we watched the other concert we watched was... Third Eye Girl, I think it was 2013 or maybe fourteen in Montreal. So that was the other one we watched.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And speaking of concerts, your ticket included the big screen concert at Target Centre, correct? Yeah, yeah. I just want to preface this with a question. So, of course, we know the estate is run in part by Graceland and Graceland has a touring act of Elvis – in the yep. same sort of fashion is that right and I've it actually it. came it came to sydney about six months ago
6: i was there that was the orchestra i actually right. went to the show this is yep.
2: this is my question so obviously graceland is behind both of these performances is that right and if like my question really is is uh, what are the differences what are the similarities is it the same sort of thing I know they're trying to potentially tour it in the future, around the world possibly. Tell us about it.
6: Well, first thing, I'm, I'm not sure who actually is behind the idea of it. I mean, it probably is the Graceland uh, management, but uh, I know that Kirky e. J organised the band and I'm assuming you know, he, you know, he would have organised all the music and probably picked. Hellman, would have been the one, one of the ones that picked the set list and what they were going to show. He definitely organised the band, I know that, because I actually spoke to him about it when we were here. And then I saw him there as well. And it's pretty much... What it was, it was pretty much a Welcome to America show. So everything they pretty much showed with Prince, it was all, it was all from the Welcome to America tour. Everyone, I think you know, like me, went into into the show not knowing what to expect and just with no expectations. And we all walked out very happy. Like, it, they did a great job. Uh, they synced it really well. All the videos, you know, Prince's singing, the music was it was spot on. And it was just – it was a great show. It was really, really good. Everyone so had a great you, time.
2: Can you tell us how it works? Like, the with the video footage, do they decrease the sound of the band on the video and – only isolate Prince's vocals and the band in the target center play along or like how does, how does what it is, what? Yeah,
6: Yeah, pretty much. It's it's just Prince's voice in that particular performance and they even had uh, Nothing Compares to You, with him doing the duet with Shelby and Shelby was on the screen when he performed at that, that particular night, whenever it was, and then she was on the stage singing it mm-hmm. live though. So I mean that was kind of weird, but all as far as sound is concerned, it was only Prince's voice that you could hear. You couldn't hear her voice when she sung it at that time. You could hear her voice singing it live right there. So yeah, it was only Prince's. Uh, there were a couple of moments I remember that you could hear the crowd in the background um, from the actual footage, and I thought that was a maybe that was a, something they missed, or but it wasn't anything major. We thought,
3: oh well, they stuffed that up.
6: Mm. But yeah, it was all it was all perfectly synced well.
3: It sounds exactly like the Elvis one when the band came because it was just Elvis's vocal isolated. But yeah a few spots here and there you could hear a bit of crowd or a bit of band which they couldn't get out for whatever yeah. reason. But yeah, overall yeah, pretty much, it sounds pretty like right. exactly the same thing really. Yeah.
6: Yeah. I mean I, I saw the Elvis one yeah about a year ago whatever it was uh, with the orchestra and yeah it was pretty much the same The only difference was uh, they had more screens and Elvis there was Elvis on a lot more screens whereas this one they only had prints on the on the center one at the back and then they had another mm. two one on each side and but they were showing more Shelby and um, you know keep keeps alive in the band and the band yeah. The only really complaint that people were sort of saying was that they didn't know what to watch. They were like up and down, up and down, looking at the band, looking at Prince, looking at the band. (laughs) But I mean, that that didn't bother me at all. I was mainly looking at Prince singing, you know. The band sounded great. The sound was perfect. The only thing that was really missing was his physical presence, of course. But if you looked away, you would think you were at a Prince concert.
2: So you recommend if they take this on a tour around the world that it's something to go to and check out
0: yeah
6: definitely yeah definitely for a Prince fan, definitely, yeah, it's something okay. to experience. I mean,
3: if I don't like it, I'm coming after you for a refund, Dom. <laughs> yeah, me too.
6: Well, I didn't organise it. Cookie J did. Come out, go after him. <laughs>
3: but he, I, I saw him after the next night
6: at Paisley Park. I ran into him and I I said, man, I was that was really really good job you did, and, and he said you liked it. I said, yeah, it was awesome. And I said, what, what are you going to do? You're going to you're you going to take it around the world? And He goes, well, we want to. He goes, maybe just the for now, just the major cities. So they're probably thinking, you know, London, Paris, you know, New York, all that sort of stuff for now. You, you can't really compare it to Elvis. Elvis's popularity, even today, is massive. I don't think them overdoing it and trying to take it to a whole load of cities and doing a proper tour, I don't think that'll work. Um, I think their way of thinking is just major cities for now, and just seeing how it goes. But um, yeah, I, I, I would, yeah, I mean, if it came here, I'd definitely go to, it. even if it was if it was the exact same show, I would still go, you know, it was just, it was a really good experience.
1: Okay, Dom, so you were bawling your eyes out at the beginning, you were crying <laughs> at the end, you didn't want to leave. <laughs> so let's talk about, well, let's ask you this question. You've come back to uh, Sydney, Australia now. Are you going to return to Paisley Park at some point? Are you already planning for 2019?
6: Uh, my, my finances don't allow me to go back. <laughs>
1: We've heard that before
6: <laughs> yeah unless i win the lotto i won't be going back yeah unfortunately it's just um yeah that i was lucky to go then like to like to go a couple of weeks ago so i'm just grateful that i was there that time and i'm not really thinking oh i gotta go back gotta go back. i mean I've, of course i would love to go back i mean especially from here it's not cheap <laughs> mm. so but you're, i mean you're you know, satisfied for now yeah. for now maybe maybe ask me in a couple of months <laughs>
1: Hey, you've done it so many people, especially from Australia and other parts of the world that, you know, outside of America have never been to uh, Minneapolis, let alone Paisley Park. So, you know, you made the Purple Pilgrimage, right? You went there, you
4: experienced it. You didn't just visit for a day. You did the whole bloody thing, which is uh, crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's, it's... really good that they're, they're keeping the celebrations going. Like there's, you know, reports going around that in, in the weeks leading up to Prince's death that he was starting to talk about, like, the next celebration, you know, that summer, obviously. You know, he's starting to go and see artists to try and invite to the that summer celebration. And so it's good that they're mm-hmm. keeping that going and keeping that sort of festival thing happening.
6: Well, first of all, there's two things about it. They need to do something for the fans so we can go there and do something and celebrate him. And second of all, of course, they need to make money. <laughs> they need to keep yep. Paisley Park open and, and alive. So I'm, I'm all for that. I don't I don't care. I mean, it's... You go, then you, you pretty much pay your respects and you pay tribute to him and you have a, you have a good you time. You pay
3: your entry fee. <laughs> <Yeah. I> mean, <laughs> and then you pay your respects. Trust me,
6: you, you know, when you get to hold the Oscar, you're not thinking about the
3: money you paid to get in like, <laughs> It's just <laughs> crazy. It's just so great. you came back straight and saw the Nothing Compares to Prince show, right?
6: Yeah, I came back Friday morning. Yeah, I went to the
3: show that night. So was that a similar band to what played with the big screen? No,
6: no, the big screen was the true funk soldiers band,
3: they call it. So
6: you had Shelby, Kip up front, you had Kirky J on the drums, you had Cassandra on the keys, you had the MPG horns. It was very similar, but some of them
3: weren't there. So you had um, Kirk on drums instead of Cora? Kirk, yeah, he
6: played drums... Yeah, and then Keep was there. I mean, we didn't have Keep, obviously. Keep came for MPG. Yeah. He
2: was there. So it we, sounds like a mix of the MPG band that's it here and the nothing compares to Prince a little bit. You yeah. A mix. Pretty
6: much. Yeah. 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 Nice. I mean, Kirk put the band together. They, they call themselves, the funny thing was, um, True Funk Soldiers was playing on the Saturday night of celebration. And I actually didn't know who the True Funk Soldiers were, <laughs> didn't even get time to look them up. I wanted to see who it was and then it turned out it was the exact same band that, that was at um, huh. Live on the Big Screen, which they were great. They were awesome because they played really rare tracks, Um, you know, not just the hits. Like they played, you know, for the big screen concert, obviously they play all the hits and stuff. But then the next night when they played at Paisley Park, they played really rare stuff like, you know, Lady Cab Driver. They played welcome to the dawn Hmm. they played stuff from rainbow children is that right they played yeah they played one plus one and they played um the work together i think from memory wow so they played yeah they played some really rare tracks and then they played paisley park which made me cry because you're listening to this song and you're standing in the place (laughs) it's just surreal that got me But yeah, it was a great it was a great show.
1: Now, for me, Dom, there's only one last thing I've got on my mind, and then <laughs> I'll, I'll hand it over to the other guys. But did you take the gloves? You know the gloves you were the holding gloves. the. Yeah, uh... oh, they're here.
6: <laughs> they're here, <laughs> definitely. I mean, everyone. Of course took they are. Up. Is
4: that an Oscar in your pocket, or are you just happy to be? <laughs> <laughs> No, Pretty no. solid one too, uh, Tojin. <laughs> oh, oh.
1: You said it was slippery
4: so- <laughs> earlier, Dom. Now you're changing your mind.
3: What's going on?
6: <laughs> yeah, well, that's what happens. It gets slippery, you know. You get excited. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so did you get any um, unauthorized souvenirs while you were around there?
6: Unauthorized souvenirs.
3: <laughs> you mean did I? You mean did I steal something? I would never imply that <laughs> <all>. unauthorized. <laughs>
6: Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Captain, because when we started our tour, it started in the hallway where all his awards are, or a lot of his awards are, and all the Grammys are in there except for one. One apparently is missing, oh, so, and they don't know where it is.
1: It's <laughs> in Sydney, Australia, by the sounds of it. Yeah. <laughs> MC's probably got it. <clears throat> I've never been to Paisley Park. Oh, then it has to be Captain then.
3: It's been missing
6: since June 2000. <laughs> there you go.
1: Very good. My second
6: for everything was First Avenue. I mean, just going to First Avenue—it's it's just best club I've ever seen in my life. And I'm not just saying that because Pepper Rain was there. It's just yes, the are. way it's the way it's set out and the layout of it and the sound is mm. just—it's just perfect. It's a perfect, perfect club.
3: Did you see anyone play? Unfortunately, not. <laughs> you just saw. I, did I had the a tour in the day.
6: Yeah, I did the tour. We we went there for a dance party. Lenka Paris played a, a DJ set on the Friday night. We went there for that, but that was it really. I mean, I had a look at some shows that were on that week and there were people that I didn't really know. And we had other things on. Uh, for mm. example, as soon as we got there, we got there on the Wednesday afternoon. And that night we went and saw uh, Donna Grantis at the Dakota and that was really good that was really good she's great oh did you see Uh, um dr Mambo's
3: combo yes of course oh yeah
6: well i mean i saw sunny t that's all that matters i saw
3: the photo i saw the photo
6: (laughs) unfortunately michael b and tommy weren't there the night we went they were on the sunday night uh the sunday night was a big show because everybody pretty much that was there for celebration celebration finished it 10 i think and yeah dr members combo extended their starting time to 11 p.m so they mm. gave everyone time to go there afterwards but I, we couldn't make it oh. i mean i'm kind of spearing because i've seen some of the photos and it looked like it looked amazing Jelly Bean was there as well it looked like it went off yeah when we went the next night on the monday it was a lot quieter <laughs> So and then Sunny, you know, Sunny was there, but yeah, Sunny made my night.
1: So he was he was just awesome. He's just on another planet. And that photo looks bloody awesome as well, man. Like he just captured real, a real cool moment. It's so casual, chilling with Sunny, Sunny yeah, Tea. Well, I mean, just we got chilling. there
6: we got there really early at about six or seven or something to have. We, we went there for dinner, and there was hardly anyone there. So we're eating our burgers and he's Sonny T just walking around. He he'd already huh. got there early and just he's just chilling out, you know. It's so weird, but yeah,
3: and you're is, like, oh, my God, it's Sunny T. Oh, my God.
4: Take a yeah,
6: bite. I was like, man, that's Sunny T, man. Like, And he's talking <laughs> it, you know, like walking around like I can't deal with it. <laughs> it was weird. Uh,
1: it's a great so, shot. It's a great shot. And, in fact, I have to give you some props again. Like we, we mentioned your photography earlier. And you spoke about the photo that you took inside there with yourself and then your brother. So you cheated by taking two photos and all that kind of stuff. But... <laughs> you took took some crazy shots right like there's a certain amount of um like it's not just like plenty of people take photos right but you this is what you do so there's an element of like taking a a stylized shot or taking a shot that maybe is a little bit different from just the norm that people you know the happy snaps that people tend to take at these places has the
3: magic eyeball yeah, well, I mean, you're a, you're a photographer, right?
1: So we want to just give you opportunity just to send out some uh, or shout out yourself really by <laughs> telling everyone who's listening at the moment where they can find your stuff, your Diamonds and Pearls photography, social media links, website, all that kind of good stuff as well.
6: Well, I'm on Facebook mainly and, and Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook as Diamonds and Pearls Photography. And I think there's a, probably a couple you might find on there, but I'm the one with the the D and the P. So you'll see the D and the P in, in, the, in the photo. Okay. Um, and then I'm on Instagram as DNP Photography. I'm on Twitter as DNP underscore photo. So, yeah, you can find me there. I'm mainly on Instagram and Facebook, though. Uh, oh, and awesome. don't
3: forget, Dom is the one who took the photo of all of us in front of Sydney Opera House. That's right. The same the photo one. that Prince himself retweeted. Mm-hmm. So he has seen your photography. How about that? Crazy, yeah.
6: That was a very uh, emotional morning. Let's just say, crying in my um in my work van. Like a little- <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy.
1: Totally didn't See me like this. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so wait one last thing before we let you go have you heard of the peach and black podcast
6: <laughs> yes i have i wouldn't say he's a regular listener <laughs> i met a few people that listen to you guys uh one in Get particular, me and ali and uh, my sister-in-law we went to uh, a charity place we signed up as volunteers to to this place called feed the children it's it was one of prince's ones that he was involved in and we went there to pack food, and they had a um, TV crew there. And they said, they asked me if I'll do an interview for TV. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, no worries. <laughs> so i'm doing i'm about to do this interview and the camera guy he's telling me you know like you know, asking me where i'm from and all this sort of stuff he goes oh he goes i listen to a lot of podcasts he goes he goes do you know the peach and black podcast i said yes <laughs> <laughs> he goes yeah i listen to those guys oh, I, said, get out.
0: I, said,
6: I said awesome i said they're good friends of mine he goes yeah they're awesome man They're really good i said oh awesome i'm glad you like them <laughs> That was just out go.
3: of nowhere. It's funny. We made it.
1: We were at the celebration.
3: So that just reinforces, you know, the stereotype that two Americans that all Australians know each other.
1: <laughs> it was was pretty
6: funny. The only thing about that bloke was that he said I was going to be on TV and then I wasn't. <laughs> so if you're listening, <laughs> mate, what, what happened? What's going on?
1: <laughs> all right. All right. All right. We appreciate you coming on the show today to uh, talk about your experiences at paisley park that crazy week you had in the purple thanks, mecca i just want to
6: say thanks to everyone who i met over there they're all awesome and um you know if anyone is ever contemplating going don't even contemplate it if if you're able to go if you've got the money to go even actually if, if you can't afford to go celebrate <laughs> just to
3: be there that week you don't need food don't worry about it i'm telling you
6: it's just amazing you have to go just have to do it
1: there's something that we missed. So we should probably cover it at least in passing because someone's going to say, how could you guys not mention that? And I think it's worth mentioning the memoir that Prince was writing at the time of his passing. There's been somewhat of an update because the publisher and some of the people involved have come out and said that some version of a memoir or book related to that whole situation is going to come out at some point in time, possibly in mid to late 2019. So any thoughts on that? Uh,
2: I was kind of um, surprised because when I first heard the news, I thought how much of uh, of a book can you create from a 50-page treatment that, that he supposedly had? But I've heard since then that it's going to be coupled with handwritten lyrics and things like that found, like letters and stuff. So it, it might seem a bit hodgepodge, but, you know, they might create something pretty cool out of it. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what comes of it.
3: That's what Absolutely. I said. Like last time when we talked about the memoir, I said, yeah, it might only be 50 pages, but they'll just pad it out with a whole bunch of pictures or something. And
4: that's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> Well, I'm looking forward to it just in the respect that we know that it was something he was working on. So it's not something like, oh, the, the state of Doug in the vault and found this. It's like we know that this was at least something he was working on at the time. Mm. I, I can't see Prince, you know, sitting down on a computer typing out his autobiography it's just not going to happen i mean i'm sure it's like poetry and song lyrics sort of reflecting back on his life and this sort of thing i think that's what it's going to kind of be it'll be
3: random
1: and vague yeah (laughs) i was born in uptown i met some beautiful ones and i drink cream with my coffee
3: i was born on a bloodstained table (laughs)
1: actually
4: that'd be hilarious you could probably like write a fairly concise autobiography just using Prince lyrics. That'd be funny. Like I (laughs) said, I was born on a bloodstained table and I, you know, found myself in Uptown.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Funny stuff.
2: Well, he did say, if you want to know anything about me, listen to the music, so... It is pretty
1: much all there. There you go. It's all there. So, yeah. Uh, look, it sounds like we're all uh, keen and interested in that. So, that'll be cool when it comes around, if and when it comes around. Lots to be excited about. And there's been a lot of exciting talk on this show. And we, we've covered nothing compares to you, the memoir, rehearsal footage, estate, investigation, The Vault, pictures of The Vault, music in The Vault, new album, what? We don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, what's it going to be? The MPG Tour to Australia. For God's sake, we had Dom from Diamonds of Post Photography, who attended the celebration 2018, give us his summary thoughts and all sorts of good stuff about that. It's just jam packed full to the till. Uh, but look, this has been fantastic getting together and talking about all the pretty exciting stuff that's happening in the Prince world, really. Uh, a lot of action, a-, a lot of cause for celebration. We love the music, hey, yeah, yeah.
3: we love the How's artistry, the- on, we
0: love
1: the, hold
3: hold the legacy. Are you trying to wrap oh, the show up or what? Yeah. How much? Down. Yeah.
2: There is something else that's pretty fantastic that's happened recently. You're being a uh, modest What's uh, MC, Rob
1: S. <laughs> What's, well, well, it depends well, how, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> on Australian radio recently, for those that are overseas who uh, don't know, that there's a, a Australian radio station called Double J and our very own Rob S., was interviewed on that radio station in regards to this show and uh, how it all got started and the Prince meeting and all that. Is there anything you want to add, Rob?
1: Uh, Well, thank you so much, Player, for bringing that up. But no, I mean, the only thing I would add is if you're keen on listening to it, if you feel like listening to it, here it is.
3: <laughs> it's let crazy. me just let me just add, you sent us a message literally oh, 20 yes. seconds before this thing started, and you're like, Oh, by the way, I'm on Australia wide national radio. Oh, yes, yeah, thanks for telling us. And I've never seen Captain Run,
1: but allegedly, based on the text that he sent me, <laughs> he ran home.
3: My exact <laughs> quote was, I ran like a bastard, if you want to be exact. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's a very specific type of Australian <laughs> Australian slang lingo situation there for all of our American and global listeners. And if you want to hear what
2: Captain ran for, this is it. All right, all
1: right. And with that, this has been another Peach and Black podcast presentation. Thank you for listening. Thanks for your company. And Ooh. we'll be back sometime in the future with another show. Presentation? That's fancy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Player, toe Jam, Captain and Rob S for being the Peach and Black podcast. We'll be back with another episode soon.
7: Right now I'm joined by Double J's Mike Williams to talk about Prince. Good morning, Mike. G'day,
5: Zan. Too young, 57. Prince, Way too young. Way too young. Yeah. And in memory, I, I wanted to share this-, this story with you. Prince was such a mysterious guy, but I think this story could give a little bit more light on the man and it might even make you think differently about being a music fan. Okay. Okay. So, it's a two-story about an Aussie whose love for Prince took him on this wild adventure. His name is Rob S. I'm an only child. I was very
1: uh, nervous about meeting people, introducing myself. Some people have a natural confidence. Others need to build theirs. And I had to build mine. I didn't feel like I belonged in any specific group at school. I had friends, but they were all... Everyone seemed to be interested in being a kid, just a teenager and just having fun
5: but not rob i was so serious about life as a 12 13 14 year old rob says that maybe his typical immigrant parents played a part they wanted him to work hard have a good life but he took it too literally a lot of his early music taste reflected this serious mindset you know bob dylan Leonard Cohen. And so you can imagine people are like bumping Return of the Mac in 1996, right? But not Rob. And I'm listening to Suzanne. Rob was always big on music. He loved it. It was his refuge. One place he loved to discover new music was the library. It was here he borrowed his first Prince album. His life would never be the same. The minute I heard that music,
1: I just thought, wow, who is this guy? It was completely different from everything else I had been listening to at the time. Everything he learned about Prince blew his mind. I'm looking at the credits, and so he wrote pretty much all the music on this three-hour record. Wait a second, he played all the instruments on these albums? What do you mean all the instruments? Bass, keys, guitar, drum programming. He's done the lyrics, he's done the arrangement, he's composed it, he's produced it. It's not just that album... It's every album that he's ever
5: done. A Prince rabbit hole grew deeper and deeper, and maybe there were some other factors as well, but with all the Prince listening, Rob noticed he began to loosen up. As a white 12-year-old in the eastern
1: suburbs of Sydney, I'm listening to white guys who are strumming guitars because I identify more with them, right? But Prince was kind of, he wasn't black, he wasn't white, he wasn't straight, he wasn't gay, he wasn't this, he wasn't that... So therefore, ah, I'm 12 years old looking for my own identity and I'm struggling with these questions. And through Prince, I can see that he was answering a lot of those questions for me and he was also exposing me to what was possible, which, which was anything.
5: After high school, Rob kept listening to Prince and a ton of other music, and by the late 2000s, he stumbled upon podcasting. Wouldn't it be cool to find a few people who
1: also are really into his music and we could just start a show, a podcast, talking about his albums and our love for the music and that'll give me an opportunity on a regular
5: basis to have an outlet to talk to people. Uh, but there was a big problem with that idea. I realised that
1: I was the only person I knew out of my immediate friends and family who listen to Prince music. I was the only one. So again, I go back to that situation
5: of teenager. You're the loner again. Yeah, I'm the loner again in a way. So in the late 2000s, the place you go to find other people interested in the same stuff as you is online chat rooms. He found three other mega fans, two in Sydney and one in Brisbane. Actual randoms, random people that's the story in 2009 their prince podcast was live they named it after a lyric the peach and black podcast
1: any any quick thoughts on the book that came along with this 21 nights Ooh, some of the pictures in the
2: book i mean for 70 bucks or whatever it costs to bring out it's a bit much i mean half of the book is you know pictures of just like traffic and stuff like that Mm. Um, I would have liked to have seen, more.
5: and it was going really well. They gave themselves nicknames. There was Toe Jam and Captain, Player. Uh, Rob was known as MC. We really enjoy it. You know, we'll listen to an album for a few weeks, take notes, find all the trivia about it, and we take it seriously. Within one year of starting, they got an email. It said it was from uh,
1: something along the lines of, "Hey, we really like what you do." Prince
5: really likes the show. He's heard it and is a fan. Keep it up. It said it was from Prince's management. We didn't believe it. Obviously, this was a big shock. What's going on? Like, it can't be, surely. Like, we're just a little podcast in Australia. But it was legit.
1: Holy (laughs) s***. Surprise, shock, panic, excitement, hilarious laughter. The very subject that we're doing the show about... One of the greatest, most creative, influential musicians in history is listening to our podcast. I want
0: to be your fantasy.
1: I remember creating a folder the very next day. The subject was like something like From Prince. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to put all future correspondence into this email to keep it because no one will ever believe me. My kids or my grandkids, when I, when I have them, won't believe that this happened. A few months later, They got another email. The subject says these words. Fancy a trip to New York?
5: Question mark. Wait a minute. Obviously the guys were freaking out. They had one week to sort it. Prince would like to fly you out to New York City, he's going to be there
1: next week for a special uh, press conference that he's giving for a new tour and a number of other activities and he really wants to catch up with you, sit down, have a chat
7: Here on Double J, I'm Zan Rowe. This is an amazing story we're in the middle of. Double J's Mike Williams is with us, and it is one of the most insane fan stories I've ever heard.
5: Why don't you see where we're going? <laughs> a few things I should explain. So
7: Yes, a few things.
5: Two members, two of the four members, weren't able to go. You know, they had one week notice, so players' visa had what expired. Do
7: you mean? Yeah, this is <laughs> weren't able to get <laughs> Prince? <They're laughs> Fly
5: I, know. New York. I know. Then Toe Jam had work commitments he couldn't get out of. <laughs> Toe Jam, come on. <laughs> so Rob and Captain go. They, they get on the plane, the tickets are booked. They can't believe it. And the thing is, they don't know why they're meeting him. I mean, s- some of the context of that first email was they'd been asked to give a- advice about setting up a Prince radio station, but that had never eventuated into anything. So they're on this trip. And the thing is, it's a 48 hour trip. They're only there for the weekend.
7: Oh, my God.
5: So, they are flown all this way for one weekend, and because no specific meeting time had been set up, <laughs> this quickly became a race against time, because <laughs> two times they were told to go places. One was, was a Tower of Power gig, and Prince didn't show. He just didn't rock up uh, for one reason or another, and it wasn't looking good. So, they were told one last place, a bar. When you get there, ask for
1: a blonde woman behind the bar. Her name is Crystal. Tell her you are the two
5: Australians and you're there to meet Prince. It was Sunday night. This was the last chance. If Prince didn't show, they'd be leaving in a few hours back to Australia with nothing to show for it. I was almost hyperventilating at some points because I was thinking, oh my God, you don't know
1: what's going to happen. They rocked up to the bar. We were there for about half an hour, 45 minutes, just doing nothing but waiting again. I took probably five bathroom breaks. I I just had to go piss. (laughs) I was getting so freaking nervous. And then, out of the blue, dressed as a Mac, almost as if he's, like, half walking on water, half, like, bobbing up and down on springs or something he kind of bounces in and the first thing he says and I'll never forget this till the day I die he puts out his hand, he's got a massive like Cheshire grin on his face then as he's shaking hands he looks us in the eye and he says I recognise your voices and you could have like slapped me we went to butter after that we were, like, we were just laughing, joking like he didn't it was no seriousness It felt like chilling with mates looking back on it now, which is very, very odd. They still didn't know why they were there, but as if that mattered. Haven't figured out whether is this a business meeting? Are we just catching up? <laughs> <laughs> he then started just telling us stuff. The conversation from that point onwards became very much about the music.
0: I know
1: this sounds very stereotypical and very cliche, but we're all human beings. Without any of the other superfluous stuff. That's what I've learned on my journey as being a fan of this guy's work, is that at his core, he was just a supremely talented, gifted, amazing artist. But when I met him, for that small period of time in my life, I feel like there was a calculated peak behind the curtain of the person and of the man. Of course, Rob thinks about it all the time. That experience has allowed me to do two things, to remove any hint of fear from my own mind about anything really in life but in particular also about meeting people i've met prince there's no one you could introduce me to
5: that i would be the least bit nervous about meeting the other big thing rob carries with him from that experience wasn't apparent straight away it took him a few years to realize i flew all around the world to spend time with this guy how much time am i spending with the people that are closest to me Sounds like it changed your perception on time and the value of time. It's not just the time that's important. It's not
1: how long we've got on the planet, it's not how old we are, it's what we do with our time. Because he spent two to three hours with us, and he's literally changed my life. <laughs>
7: It's Prince on the eve of the second anniversary of his very sad and very sudden passing. An amazing story brought to you today by Double J's Mike Williams. Just laughing and crying here in the studio. Phenomenal.
5: It's got all the emotions.
7: Oh my God. (laughs) How did you find this guy?
5: Well, uh, Rob, the the Peach and Black podcast is still going. I love that. Almost 10 years later, all the four... Original guys are still doing it, still doing it over uh, over the internet and it's still running. So you should definitely check out the Peach and Black podcast because it's it's got a huge back catalogue and if you're a Prince fan, you have to. And also Rob also has another podcast, Obsessed uh, by Music.
7: I love this. You know what else? Mm. Mike Williams, who joins me in the studio right now, also has a podcast. And if you, like me, love hearing him get these incredible stories out of Everyday Australians you got to check it out. It's called The Real Thing. You can find it wherever you get podcasts. It's brilliant. I always love hearing you talk to people. Mike, you just have a way. Well, thanks, Anne. You get amazing stories. And God damn, that was just incredible. Thank you for bringing that in and sharing that with us. Well, Thanks so
5: much to Rob S for sharing that story. Oh, God. And such I just, a great storyteller.
7: I love what he took away from that about basically rethinking how he spends his time with the people around him that he loves. Yeah. I mean, Prince's impact, so huge, but meeting Prince just changed his life in such a beautiful way, more than just the Music. <laughs>